Are you ready for season three of Discography? Yeah! We're jumping into the deep end of The Who. Not only will we go through every Studio Who album in great detail, but their story is often told between albums, so we'll be touching on non-album singles, the solo works of Keith Moon, John Entwistle, Roger Daltrey, and Pete Townsend, and some of the events that would make a record begin as a concept and land as something that would universally change the world. Discography returns to Consequence Podcast Network in January of 2019. Until then, be lucky. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of hope. All in the name of hope. All in the name of constant listeners and welcome yet again to another episode of the losers club a stephen king podcast brought to you by the consequence podcast network today we continue our long walk see what i did there to the dark tower with our coverage of 1987's the drawing of the three because 1987 apparently wrote this book no this is a stephen king book and this is a stephen king podcast but before we open that first door let's introduce who we have with us today i'm Mackenzie mort gerber Constant contributor to this podcast, as well as the Halloweenies, another podcast you'll find right here on COS Podnet. And today, Roland's not the only one drawing three. Across from me is uh, the first person I'm going to draw. Uh, please introduce yourself. Hey there, Kingheads. This is Dan Balazar Flieger. Oh. It's good to be back on the podcast, Mac. Um, so you're a criminal drug lord in, in New York, are you? That's how it goes. I also like to play... Uh, House of Cards a lot. So. Oh, jeez. So Dan is joining us again. He was on our, our, our Gunslinger episode. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I was actually in the Gunslinger film episode. And then I forget the book. Oh, Eyes of the Dragon. Oh, Eyes of the Dragon, which is loosely related to this as well, as we'll get to in King's Dominion. Uh, and next to him is... This is Aisha Razor Cunt Walker. Oh. Uh, yeah, I had to go there. <laughs> Flying in from, I was just in New York, so this is, and I was reading this while in New York, so that was kind of fun. So I'm excited oh, to nice. do this. Very cool. And the last card I'm going to draw is actually, uh, we're, we're going to step through a door to uh, Austin, Texas, and uh, that is. Uh, this is Dan Dudumchick Caffrey. Uh, I, and I think I'm in the, probably in the environment that's most like Midworld. Um, you know, we're, I'm in the West. There's lots of cowboy boots here. That, I'm just kidding, Austin. It's not at all like Midworld, but I am happy to be here. Dan, have you seen any Lobstrosities? And if so, um, is Hank still alive? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The Lobstrosities are no match for Hank. Uh, he, he tears them up and shuts them down. Bruce <laughs> <laughs> Springsteen says. Wow. Well, uh, let's uh, let's go around the table here and go into a little history of how we first came across this book, if we've read it, and uh, our experiences with that. I'll start. Drawing of the Three is interesting because The Gunslinger was the first <sighs> Stephen King book that I ever read, and I read that in middle school. Um, I, I grabbed Drawing of the Three after I finally finished that book, and <laughs> finally finished like it was this epic. But back then, for me, uh, reading was a chore. So I grabbed Drawing of the Three uh, somewhere. It was like that small version with the green cover and the three cards, you know, and uh, tried to start reading it. And I, I, I got into some of the Lobstrosity stuff and I was just totally thrown off. I didn't like the science fiction element of it anymore. And I, I, 
I just didn't know what to make of it. And I just, I couldn't get into it. Had I kept reading and I think I had, I gotten to that Eddie Dean part, I think I would have totally bought in, but, um, it was years later I came back to it. Um, when I decided to read through the rest of the series, um, which, and I, and I, and I read this time around my second read, uh, is the plume edition. Ooh, I got um, the same one. And oh yeah. And it's got that great artwork that is has been omitted from the new releases, which is kind of a just a crime and a half. But uh yeah, that so that was my my first introduction to it. I, I love the book and I, I still love it. So uh Dan Flieger, what did you think? Um this is also the second Stephen King book I ever read. Um so fellow co host Dan Caffrey, shout out. Um he got me the gunslinger when I was in college in two thousand three. And I tore through that, and then I immediately started this book. And the f- seven Dark Tower books were the first seven Stephen King books I ever read. And you know, that's crazy, Dan, because that's yeah. exactly how I came across it. I read these books first before I went into any other Stephen King. Yeah, it's a good journey to go on. You know, I immediately followed it with The Stand, It, and I've read about 80% of his books since. But especially going back and rereading this, it's nice once you kind of have that understanding of the rest of the Stephen King universe, because you definitely notice mm-hmm. the references that you might have missed the first time around. So as you all know, I'm still pretty new to the King reading world. Just uh, most of the stuff I've gotten is from my father. And he unburdened me with his collection of The Dark Tower. Because <laughs> I had mentioned, actually, to be honest, I didn't start reading The Gunslinger until, was it, what year did the movie come out? Was it last year? Last year. 2017, 2016? Was it? I think it was 2017. Yeah, wow. It feels like it was came out five years ago. But. Whatever year that was, I was like, okay, Idris is in there, and I love me some Idris Elba. And I was like, before I watch the movie, I want to read the book. And The Gunslinger was my misery. Oh, I'll just put that, that out there right me, now. I love, I love The Gunslinger. It was, a, it was a hard drag for me. Like There were certain points, but I just was frustrated with how slow it was. And then, granted, I know, it's, you know this is King in his early writing years, but Drawing of the Three... We are the same age, and I feel like now I've grown with this book. I actually absolutely adore it. I just, this is the first time reading it, so I'm here for more. That's awesome. Dan Flieger, or Caffrey, before we get to you, Flieger, what what edition what did edition? you read? Um, I have or the, this time around, at least. This is actually the one that I originally read. It's the 2003 edition. So oh, okay. Caffrey bought me the illustrated Gunslinger, and then I went to Walmart because I found they were on sale for $4 each book. <laughs> And that's pretty much, that. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much the collection I built. So thanks Walmart for once again <laughs> helping the literary world. Walmart, unofficial sponsor of the Losers Club. Uh, that's not true. And across across the pond, as I like to say, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why that was a funny imagery to me. Um, yeah, I had, I had read Gunslinger pretty early on in life, just because it was a short book. It was one of the Stephen King books I was allowed to read when I was little. Um, and then I remember our high school library where Flieger and I went to high school. They had the original illustrated edition of Drawing of the Three. And I've grown to love this book. But, yeah, when I first read it, it, it kind of the opposite of, of uh, Aisha's experience. It was – I love the gunslinger and it was so different from it just because of the crime element. And even the illustrations, they almost looked like Norman Rockwell or something. The whole thing just felt a little bit different to me. So it was harder for me to get into. Get into. But as I've gotten older, it's become one of my favorite books in the series. And I am reading um, – the first edition plume illustrated one, not like the collector's one, but the, you know, the one that came out after that. And, uh, an old coworker of mine at Groupon, I ran into her at a yard sale one time and she was selling, her roommate was selling, uh, this wastelands and gunslinger, all first editions. And I bought them for like six bucks, which Ooh, nice. no offense to them. I think they could have sold them for a little bit more, but well, it is uh, Groupon, right? So 
yeah, yeah. I guess I, I, guess I got a gunslinger coupon. Uh, oh, that's great. Um, yeah, and real quick, let's just go into uh, just some some of the historical context of King writing this book. There's not a ton out there, and I think a lot of that has to do with King figuring out this series as he was writing it. He even gives. Uh, do you guys have that little introduction he does in your books called Argument? I haven't. So, so he kind of talks in that about how this was sort of an in-process thing for him. And then the afterward, he was saying how in many ways the the book is like the dark tower for him. He knows part of why he's finishing it and you knows where, how some of it is going to play out, but a lot of it, he really doesn't. And it, he does go on to say that this book feels a little bit more complete in a way that the gunslinger doesn't, you get more of an idea that he has direction here. There's not as much stuff open for interpretation. Um, that being said there, he did go back and, rewrite all the books a little bit to have more of a continuity together like um the big one of course is uh martin and the man in black or, or flag and, and uh and walter man in black etc were like different people and that's apparent in this a little bit and then we have illustrations of course by philip hale who actually he did it for the first edition then in a later edition he did alternate illustrations have you guys seen those i don't think so uh no they're they're weird. It's he's the only he's the only illustrator in the Dark Tower to have done that. They came out with a later edition, and he kind of redid some of them. They're it's weird. They're they're not as like nineteen fifties looking. They're kind of the same illustrations, but it, they're almost more like photo collages a little bit. Like they have more of a realism to it. But um, I, I personally prefer the the earlier ones. But yeah, and then the other fact is that King says uh, for a while this was his children's favorite book that he had written. Um, but outside of that, I, I'll be honest, I could not find a ton of like historical facts on it. I think that's because he didn't quite know where it was going. But I don't know if you guys had any, anything additional to add to that. Um, I did read that, that uh, yeah, it was his children's favorite in 1989. Um, he had a newsletter called Castle Rock, the Stephen King newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, and they referenced that. Um, and then, yeah, it is, it's technically his 24th book. Um, 20th novel and the 15th under his own name. Oh, and we should also say, too, that like the, all the other Dark Tower books, or at least the, the first few it came out in 1987 in this hardcover edition, uh, you know, that was signed. It was just a limited run, and then it came out a little bit later in the year in the in the uh, the big paperback version that I'm reading. That is Plume. It looks like, which I think he did for the first what like four books, maybe. I feel like once Wolves of the Kala came out, he they got away from doing the limited run thing. Right. Just because I don't know when we're going to get to this later on, let's talk about the illustrations. Was there a il- specific illustration in the version you had that stood out to you, that's maybe stuck with you? I know that there's definitely one for me. Dan? Um, the one I always, I've always i always loved as a kid, and I think it's because it took me a minute to figure out what was happening when I looked at it, is the thug in the drugstore at the end who gets the knife shot. Oh, I think yeah. it's nothing but the hilt. It's so cool. Like I, I know I said Norman Rockwell before, but it really looks like that to me because it looks like an old school drugstore. He's got this leather jacket, and I love that it almost looks like he's shooting nickels or pieces of a blade out of his knife. Like You, you yeah. kind of have to read it to understand what's going on, and I really love that because once, once you're like, oh, that's Roland shooting the knife blade or Jack Moore shooting the knife blade uh, so it shatters, I think the illustration takes on another level and becomes really cool. So that that's the one for me that I've always drawn to. What about the rest of you, though? One that really stands out to me is the naked Eddie Dean uh, with the cards yeah. flying and his brother yeah. Henry's head coming at him. Mm. And that also takes you kind of a second to get oriented. It's uh, I love oh, that picture. It definitely looks head? Norman Rockwell. Because remember, he gets his head cut off and it's yeah, like I rolling yeah, at him. I thought that was just kind of like rolling like <laughs> perspective of him, him trying to dodge bullets and... Uh, so Eddie trying to dodge bullets. I did not realize that was Henry's. Head. I'm not kidding. I never 
I never made that realization either. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was like one of these assholes doing a somersault or something. Right? You know, like, <laughs> Somebody just moving I mean, out of the way. So, I mean, some of these drawings are so crazy. You just, I just didn't think of that. I just thought it was like someone jumping or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that makes total sense. It yeah. looks like him. You it's know? the darkest moment of Eddie's life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see, because it's Hale, I, of all the Dark Tower illustrations throughout the entire book, of like all the books, I think Hale's are the most realistic. And so he, so he takes these really crazy moments and he just draws them very, very like straightforwardly. And I think, I think shows more than he tells, if that makes sense. Like you don't yeah. see, you don't see like blood and guts or anything, even though that's a very violent scene. So I think because of that, like all the illustrations have this like weird otherworldliness, which like I said, as a kid, I was a little bit turned off by, but as I've gotten older, I, I really like the artwork quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I agree. Aisha, do you have, do you have one specific? I actually have two, but I think, for two different reasons. The first one is the picture of the gunslinger on the the last one, the last illustration. Oh, okay. At first, I didn't realize because I didn't read the table of contents. I just kind of dove in. But I, like, reviewed all the pictures. And it was the one that, like, creeped me out the most but, like, drew me the most. Like, I kept coming back to that page and looking at it. And then later when I saw that this was supposed to be the gunslinger, I don't know. I was having, like, this disconnect in a way with, like, that's not how I imagined him. And also, he just seemed... The way King has been describing him through the whole story as his clothes get more and more tattered, I was like, where is this come in? Is that actually the gunslinger? Is this supposed to be like the man in black instead? Like, I kind of was confused of like who this was, but it was my favorite image. And which which image it's, is that? It's the last one. Oh, you know. The very last one. Do you not have this it's one? It doesn't exist in my book because uh. I guarantee... Now, I'm missing the last page or last ah. few pages. It must have been torn out a long time ago. But I do remember that image, the one where he's with the grin. Yeah, and he's got yeah, blood yeah. trickling down his face. Yeah. And that was actually the the cover of that limited first edition was that illustration, which is, which is a funny choice for a cover. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That, that you are, yeah, you are that's correct. That's the other one I like. Well, yeah, what was your other one? Uh, the one of Odetta, or I guess this would be Detta Walker. Yeah. Is that what she you were going to say? That, yeah, that's yeah. mine. Yeah. This picture... Is so disturbing to me, especially when you're reading the book because you know you you you're trying to get a grasp of what data maybe looks like, mm-hmm. and it's such an exaggerated, like strained version of someone. It's it's it's, and and then you know she's bound. It's just it's it's disturbing. Yeah, especially when they describe her as being so beautiful when she's Odetta and just like right. so nice to be around, and then you see how crazy she can be, and it's mm-hmm. just like. It is terrifying. Her teeth are clenched, and that section is such a, a chore. I, I especially when she's screaming. I will get to that in a yeah. second. But <laughs> it's probably one of my favorite ways of him desc- or like his writing is like describing how she looks like when she switches into Dada. Like the strain that like she looks like a raging beast, an animal. Oh yeah. Uh, so with this book, we have Roland again. We'll give a little brief synopsis. Waking up on the beach, there's some creatures about. He is now on a quest to draw three people from another world to midworld. And across the book, he finds three doors and we meet Eddie, uh, Odetta, Detta, Suzanne, <laughs> and Jack Mort, uh, along with some other uh, fun, uh, fun, creepy characters along the way. Uh, what, did, what were you going to say the hook is of this book? Ah, uh, Yes. Don't you see? Don't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future, you can... I can change it. You can change it, exactly. Are we still in the same kind of hook from the Gunslinger? 
Um, I feel like the gunslinger is kind of the prologue. Like, I feel like this is when it really kind of starts opening the universe. And I, I would say in this, uh, Roland rescues recruits his new cutet, and in the process, they rescue him. Clear, <laughs> deep. Uh, but I agree. I agree. I think this is really where it starts to pick up. You definitely have. It still feels like a western to me, even though we're in New York City at one point, and we're you know, it just it still feels like a true blue western. You know, along the journey, we're picking up these kind of like rogues gallery, a little magnificent, you know, three, if you will, I guess. Caffrey, what do you what do you think? I think Dan's totally right. I think this was King starting to figure out what this was going to be. I read this uh, Guardian retrospective on it. It was the series they did where the guy's rereading everything and he referred it as a getting the band together novel. And I think that's like such an accurate term. And it's so much, I think more so than any of the other dark tower books, there's an immediacy to it. It's actually pretty small in scale. You know, you had, you have the structure laid out from the beginning. There's three doors. He's going to three different places. He needs to interact with three different people. And that's kind of it, which is what I love because it, it, it doesn't have, it's not as bogged down in the mythology as some of the later books get like song of Susanna. So yeah, I think that's right on the novel, right on the money of uh, getting the band together novel, a bridge novel, uh, any of those things. So let's just move into the structure. This tale, as it were, is told in card speak. Uh, we have a prologue, then the three <laughs> main speak. chapters. We have the three main <laughs> chapters representing each door, each person Roland will draw. These are separated by miniature chapters, or as I like to call them, many chaps, called shuffle, reshuffle. And anyone want to take a wild guess on the last one? Uh... It's final shuffle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, did you guys like the structure? How did it work for you uh, reading this? Uh, going from the Gunslinger, which is very straightforward, to this. Oh, I get to start. Uh, so I personally enjoyed this. The it's kind of like many short stories within a larger scale, like yeah. a picture. Uh, I got to. I never felt that he took too long to get into anyone's particular story or like waste too much time on specific details. Like you've got immediately what's going on. You kind of got a sense of the characters, but also there was something that I was thinking about actually on my train right here was like how he slowly introduced certain characters that were like the negative sides of each interaction. So like, for example, with Eddie, you hear more and more about who Henry is and you get like little leaks about him first. He's this like, I forgot what the exact term, like a guru basically that Eddie goes to and like admires and adores. And then you slowly start to trickle in like the negatives of who Henry was and what he did. And like, and then you get the final result of what happens to Henry. And then the same thing yeah. with Odetta. Like you, you know, there's that dark side, that lady of shadows, but like the extreme of it gets worse and worse and worse. And it's just like, he doesn't give you too much in the beginning to handle with each character. You get like little inklings and it's like, bam. And I think we were talking about this outside yeah. that it's like the pace is so fast. And then suddenly you're like, whoa, what's happening now? But it's not like ever like confusion. It's just like, wow, wow, wow. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, this thing just clips along. Yeah. 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 I mean, I thought it was cool to tie it to the 
with the Pavlar he had with the man in black in the first book with the three, you know, tarot cards and tying that to sort of playing cards. Love that, yeah. And for me, you know, I tore through the gunslinger and then as soon as Roland got his ha- fingers cut off, mm-hmm. I was just like, wait, that's like his main power and yeah. you're going to take it away from him. And <laughs> so it like really sucked me in and I like the the pacing and the shuffling of the cards does resemble Roland's fever dreams and just the fevered pace of his infection. So the passage of time is a little strange in this book, mm-hmm. but I think that actually is a strength because you do kind of sympathize with the gunslinger. Another theme, too, with the kind of plot, I guess, is uh, the rule of threes comes up a lot. I was even noticing just in the Eddie Dean chapters, you know, he's got uh, his older brother, Henry, who was sort of a cruel teacher but loved him. Roland had Court, who was a cruel teacher but loved him. Even the flight attendant has her battle axe flight attendant trainer and just everything that would happen you know roland was fighting a medical condition of his infection eddie was fighting the medical condition of an addiction and odetta was fighting schizophrenia it's just things kept hitting in threes which i thought was a nice structure yeah yeah caffrey yeah um, something that i thought about a lot when reading this is that we talk how sometimes king can't stick to landing like I, i think he struggles with endings a lot of the time and i think because of the structure of it because he sort of laid out these cards and he knew where it was all going it I, I feel like it's a very satisfying conclusion and part of that becomes comes from that familiarity that we know we know how this is going to play out we know he has to go through that third door that he has to lay down that third card and it, I, I don't know if you guys felt this way like this almost felt like kind of like an anomaly king book to me reading it this time around like i couldn't think of another stephen king book that feels like this dark tower or otherwise and i, and I wonder if part of that does have to do with the structure and, and what you guys have uh, have said already Listen, it's the Empire Strikes Back of the series, okay? <laughs> oh, that's a good I mean, way of putting it. it, it it's, it's, sure. You've got all this turmoil. Everyone's com- Everyone's finally coming together at the end, but it's a total cliffhanger. Like We're like ready to go on this journey. And the last 10, 15 pages of this book, you, you know, I dare you to stop in the middle of them. You know, you're just going. You're just bam, 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 right there. Uh, yeah, this structure really worked for me. Um, like you said, it did feel like kind of short stories and and in that sense it was really easy for me to burn through each one and really pay attention because i knew i wasn't going to be with these characters much longer especially after that first eddie dean i think once you get through the eddie dean's uh chapter then you realize okay we're probably never going to see those people again so when you get to odetta it's easy to remember names right out the gate because you don't know how much longer you're going to be with them and i really think that worked uh it was a credit to that i think i think king by laying out the three doors he sort of trapped himself in the box which helps him because it gave him a structure and as a reader you know once you buy the conceit of okay this guy is walking into doors on a beach and when he does it he goes into the person and you knew there were two more doors so even when you're in the eddie part you're just like wow what's the next person gonna Mm. be like you know and yeah oh totally you knew the format i think that kind of helped contain uh, King's hubris or I think it's interesting to think about sorry to to break you out you just made me think about something with like how he introduces each one too because like with Eddie he like he's tentative this is the first time he's attempting this so he kind of is watching and waiting and he slips in he's trying to figure out the lingo and then with Odetta because of the situation he just jumps in there's no time to like think about anything he just takes her and goes and like you have that revelatory moment where they look at each other through the door and then with Jack he's like I know what I'm doing I'm jumping in I know when to pull out for specific moments so each time he interacts with the world he also gets a he adapts a little bit more but it's it's I think also the speaks to the personality of each person too that he was interacting with 
Yeah, no, totally. And he can definitely sense to, you know, because Roland's slow to trust people and replace his kata, you know, his fallen gunslingers, the Cuthbert and Alan. Yeah. But when he goes into them, he can immediately sense Eddie and Odetta are mm-hmm. gunslingers. Like they have this intensity. And then you contrast that to Jack Mort, where he goes in and is like, you know, this guy's total pushover yeah. creep. But, no, but push, I don't know push, if he, had push he not over. been inside them. I don't know that he would have given them that credit that, you know, these could be gunslingers one he day. He even, That's like, true. mentions that, though, when he talks about Eddie in the beginning, like, he, when he refers to Court, like, Court would have bashed his brains in if he did this, and he's like, well, no, actually, Court would have been like, you did really well making this, well, I forgot what it's called, but basically how he carried the gunslinger through, or Roland through the desert. Mm. So, like... <laughs> I love that you mistook me for Roland. That's so flattering. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Sally. Uh, yeah, so, well, sounds like we're already moving into our next category, so why don't we just go there? It's called Heroes and Villains. Oh, you went there. I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole! <laughs> so the first character we're gonna talk about is, of course, the lead character of this series, Roland Deschain. Now, Roland, he, he goes through a lot in this book. Jeez. <laughs> Suffers. I don't think, do you think that there is another Dark Tower book, not to get too far ahead of ourselves and for the people that haven't read it, but this is probably, aside from maybe the fourth book, this is the most I feel like we see him like physically suffer. He's, he doesn't feel like this untouchable, you know, diehard four and five character that like, nothing t- touches him you know what i mean he can like jump off a hundred story building and get up and start running you know what i mean like he is gone through hell and back in this book yeah and i think in the fourth book he kind of loses whatever innocence he had left right so he's kind of become this hardened man and you do see him suffering and i think but for his suffering he wouldn't reach out for help and you know what's funny um this i i totally agree with you and i i think that uh, ultimately, Roland, uh, he loses fingers. He And his toes. Right? His big toe. That's he's a tough one to lose. Dying. He's so sick. He's just a husk of a man at this point. Uh, I read something on Wiki, which I thought was funny. They said it said like this. This apparently was supposed to only take place like seven hours yeah. after the events of the last book, but I don't remember that being the case. I thought he was like asleep for a long time. I saw for that ten too. years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. That's what I was I confused. Wiki's got it wrong. I think that goes. I back can't to believe that. it. The retconning that Stephen King went back and did, you know, because I think in the version we read for Gunslinger, it does say 10 years, but I think he went back and like bridged the books a little bit more. Um, it, it's, it's like really interesting reading these first editions before he kind of made everything uh, con- uh, connected continuity wise. Right, right. And I think that personally, I like it better with the 10 years because it just puts a little bit more of a, a last gasp kind of like attempt at the tower, you know? Yeah, I think the in the retcon too, they, uh, they said the man in black, it wasn't 10 years, but he placed like fake bones, if I'm recalling correctly. See, I don't like Which, that. Yeah, I, I'd rather, <laughs> I think so it's cooler well, yeah. to be, ten, I think 10 years is cooler. Once but. the man in black, once it, once the man in black became Randall Flagg, who obviously isn't dead at this point, I think he had to go back and it was like, oh yeah, he didn't really collapse into bones, which is, I mean, it's kind of silly, but yeah, I feel like he had to do that, you know? Yeah, but I kind of like the idea of just he... You know, like, like we're years. supposed to believe that those bones are his, but maybe it's just some other poor sap that he, like, killed and placed there, you know what I mean? Because he does have the jawbone, and there's something magical about it. Exactly. And if you have him placing the bones, you know, I suppose he could have placed an enchanted jawbone, but I think the 10 years thing is cooler. It could also just be, like, 
it could be him. He could have died there and then been Maybe reborn, reborn again. somewhere this, else. You know, yeah, this is flag. Uh, so I, yeah, I didn't have any problems with with uh, the ten year thing. I think that I, I, I you know, they're gonna wreck on that, sure, whatever. But that didn't didn't phase me originally. Roland is on a quest here, and he meets a lot of people on the way. The first door that he gets to, this is probably one of the best like reveals <laughs> in the book when he just opens it up and he's all of a sudden looking at the earth from like I, I can't even like, my head would have exploded if I was rolling <laughs> having never been in a situation where I would have seen the world from this view you know Sorry. but somehow he's able to think it's earth uh, but then we meet uh, Mr. Eddie Dean uh, Dan Caffrey I know you're a big Eddie head what uh, <laughs> big uh, head, head uh, yeah. <laughs> um, anything to say about Eddie yeah, I mean, he for me, I've always said that he's kind of like a Larry Underwood character for me, who's my favorite character from The Stand. Um, I think King here is really getting into writing a flawed hero. The fact that, I, you guys touched on this a little bit already, but when we meet every character in this, the fact that they have some sort of addiction or, or disability thing going on, I feel like that just sets up really rich stakes for the character. Like, you have this guy who's already in this, like, really, really tense criminal situation. He's a heroin addict, but... There, there's there's that already gives him a lot to crawl back from you know and i feel like because he gives eddie that those kind of stakes you immediately like him he's the underdog but he also has some charm to him and he's kind of, i mean i don't know this is something i want to ask you guys there are times when i think eddie is kind of funny and when i was little and little younger i thought he was really funny some of his jokes did get on, on my nerves a little bit kind of like richie from the from uh mm-hmm. it but I, I don't know if you guys felt that way too what do you think yeah i i, I think eddie we were talking about this, me and Aisha, before the podcast. Um, there's certain Stephen King sense of humor that I think he just cracks himself up. And he has this, like, archetype of, like, this New York, you know, quick-witted, like, hey, pal, what's up here? Walking here. And, like, you know, when he's in the toilet in the airplane and the pilots are, like, interrogating him. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I had a real stinker in there, buddy. And, like... <laughs> It's like this. It just makes me want to like, sh- like gnash my teeth and like look to the sky. Like, why? Why yeah. do you even need to? Well, it's like it? it's like in a PG thirteen movie when they have the bully and he's like, "Hey, what's up, you jerks?" And it's like, no, he'd be calling them much worse. And I think the language of Eddie is kind of juvenile. And like, I mean, there's one line I wrote down too with he's talking to Odetta and he's just like, "Well, I'll tell you one thing, Dorothy, you ain't in Kansas anymore." <laughs> and anytime that's used in a movie, whether it's Avatar or whatever, I just cringe. Now, I'm actually glad you brought that up because keep that Dorothy reference Ooh. in mind for the following. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a very Just good point. That. We're not going to spoil anything, but okay. yeah. Um, well, it, is, it is funny because like th- that being said, a lot of that does go away for him a little bit. I think as he sobers up and he, he gets weakened and he sees his mm-hmm. brother die and he falls in love. And I, I, I think there's so much vulnerability there. And I don't know, the, the humor too, although it's like, it's definitely cringy. Like you guys are saying, it is something I've just come to kind of, embraces like a king trait now you know so whenever he does it it's more like oh steven you know? yeah exactly yeah. exactly but, and I, but I, I mean see, I, I, I do love eddie i just think he's i think he he's such a complex hero and he's mm-hmm. flawed from the get-go like you guys were saying before i mean i love roland but roland you see some flaws in that first book but he's kind in, in many ways he's infallible in terms of his physical prowess and his toughness and all this and i like with eddie he's kind of like he's a fuck up when you meet him you know he's like jesse from breaking bad and i think that giving the, the character that much to fight against just makes me like him a lot more so i'm a i'm a big ed head all the way through yeah I, i'm also a big ed head uh i think that uh <laughs> He's just one of those characters that I immediately gravitated towards. I do think that he goes, reading this the second time, 
he goes through so much mm-hmm. <laughs> as well <laughs> in this short this short time. He loses his brother. And like page like two thirty two of this book, he's like falling in love with Odetta after spending like day with her. Not a even day, <laughs> like the first thirty <laughs> like, seconds of crazy. Uh, but like Roger Moore said about Daniel Craig, uh, Daniel Craig is like that. That his James Bond is a killer, and Roger Moore's a lover. I think that Roland's the killer. He's the ruthless. He knows that he might have to sacrifice one of these two down the line. And I think Eddie is very very attached to the people and to the quartet. You know, he's very attached to his brother. Uh, he's very attached to Susanna and even Roland, even though he tries to kill him, you know, he can't, you know, and he yeah. doesn't. I consider like Eddie is like Roland's human humanity. That's like that question that is constantly in the mind. Like, can I do this? Should I do this? I still want to love like, cause there's a point where Roland, I think is like, I still love it. He's watching <laughs> Odetta and Eddie kind of interact and he's like, I yeah. still want this. I still care for people. And going back to the point, I think of what, Dan said earlier about how Eddie's humor changes and kind of diminishes, not diminishes, but changes over time as he has all this, these things happening to him. I almost kind of miss certain parts because I was so sick of hearing like the terrible jokes that he said <laughs> some, some very clever things later on. And you're like, well, wait, wait, what are we growing up, Eddie? Oh, I'm, I'm liking this character more and more. So I grew up, I feel like I grew up with Eddie through this experience. I like, I grew to love him and hate him a little bit with those cheesy, terrible jokes. Yeah. And he he really uh, became the leader, you yeah. know, like he Roland kind of leads everything for the rest of the series. But in this book, like he was taking care of Roland. Mm-hmm. He was dealing with Detta Odetta. You know, he was ferrying them back and forth. And if you think about it, he literally got plucked into a different dimension and he kind of rolls with the punches mm-hmm. really well. He, and, you know, goes through with <laughs> through withdrawal. And it's because Roland's kind of coming in and out of consciousness. But you're like, that's a miserable process. And he still kept his humor about him despite it. Yeah. Eddie, Eddie Dean. Eddie Dean, folks. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> what more can you say? <laughs> he is definitely the glue of the group in a sense in this book. Um, I, I did want to talk about him in terms of what I like to call door logic. Um, as we, because as the, he, like you were saying, with each door, with each person, Roland kind of starts figuring it out and approaches it, the people differently. But there's certain rules that he learns as he does this whole process. And so uh, as he moves into Eddie, he knows that he can see through his eyes. He knows that Eddie is also aware that someone's there. They're both aware of each other while he's in possessing him, I guess, in a sense. Um, he can take things through the door. Uh, I think the first thing he takes is the the, the Tudor fish sandwich. Tudor fish sandwich. Was it the Tudor fish? What? I thought it was the coin first to test that, and oh, then he right. does the Tudor right. fish. Oh yeah, because he wants the to see pumpkins. The- yeah. <laughs> and I feel like now. How does it just disappear? What do you think that looks like on yeah. our end? On our end, because he turns does it just around. Total, does it dissolve? Does it just disappear in a, in a heartbeat? Or yeah, I think this is why it's kind of difficult to adapt these into films. Because in books, you can kind of get away with yeah, just like trust us here. Yeah. This happens, and like it'd be like a shimmer. And the one thing too that kind of drives me crazy though is when like the flight attendants notice, like, wait a minute, his eye color he changed. Changes. Like I never noticed people's eye color, let alone that it slightly went from blue to gray. I, I think that. The reason she's noticed it because I think that Roland's eyes are a They're particular blue different. that are yeah. that are not of this world. You but know also I mean? they talk about how he looks too. It's not even just the color; it's the way his his eyes change, the way his eye look changes. They're like his eyes harden in a certain way that wasn't before, like wasn't Eddie's before. And I right. think that's also the, what catches people's attention. Whoa, Mac, your eyes just <gasps> are you? 
Okay, moment. no, he's back to Mac. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. They went from off for a second there, blue was, to was, slightly was, less <laughs> off blue. It was Justin. Um, yeah, so Eddie also notices that the the door, so as Roland is embodying someone, the door is always like three feet behind him. So he turns around and he can see the door just dragging. Now, I love this image. I just, I wish we could see this on film one day. Is Eddie like being dragged by the police to the airport and he turns around, that door is just slowly dragging behind him, like, you know, three feet away, a constant three feet away. I imagine with it the like desert, bouncing with the lodgetocities, just like <laughs> checking every time a wave breaks. Like, I wonder, could he hear as well, like, the sounds of it? I think he can. I think when he looks back, I think he can kind of hear a little, like, I think he can kind of just just in the periphery like hear that and and sense that that's still out there i would love to see um, this and so eddie I know. eddie's on the airplane he's bringing drugs in um roland obviously helps him with that they decide uh they need to um well, they don't decide anything but they go to see uh balazar um, big big drug kingpin of of New York, and uh, what what does he like to build? Uh, house of Cards using three decks. Oh, and uh, he like once say it was a Tower of Cards. Ah, possibly. <laughs> and the name of the restaurant that he's in is called the Leaning Tower. Oh, I also yeah, I, I do like that moment when Roland sees the the neon sign because he's never seen neon before. He really thinks it's legit. The tower, the tower. <laughs> flips out. It's probably the most unrolling thing we'll ever see in the books. Is his reaction to seeing the tower that quickly, that early? I was <laughs> like, like That's he just too loses soon. his mind, <laughs> and it's pretty great. But uh, I got a good Balazar quote for later about. The card oh, yeah? power and sort of his philosophy, but I'll say. Oh it. no, go go for it because we're we're, 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 okay. we're running into Balazar right now. So I'm going to do my best, Balazar. <clears throat> for every mother who ever cursed God, for a child dead in the road, <laughs> for every father who ever cursed the man who sent him away to the factory with no job, for every child who was ever born to pain and asked why, this is the answer. Our lives are like these things I build. Sometimes they fall down for a reason. Sometimes they fall down for no reason at all. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> you added that yeah, last part, right? Did he yeah, add that? Yeah, get real John Gotti on the podcast. I took some liberty. Oh, yeah, I did watch Gotti recently. I, so I could like, not. Yeah. I, I have to say, uh, I could not get John Travolta's Gotti out of my head with Balazar talking. Any of these scenes, it was always John Travolta as, as Balazar. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest fucking city on earth. <laughs> John Travolta, if you're listening. Yeah. Oh, man. Please oh, list you know all the boroughs again when you say you're the king of New York. Every time, list all five boroughs. Oh, um, yeah, so uh, Balazar, big drug king, kingpin in town. Um, Eddie's bringing the drugs to him. And this is a very complicated situation because he thinks that Eddie... If he doesn't have the drugs on him, that he's either dropped the shipment, or is take, or is somehow stolen the drugs or something. So he's like responsible for this, and he gets taken there. They've got Henry in the back room. He's they've got him like souped up, drugged up, um, and this is a very really, really really sad section of the book for me. Is when they're talking about Henry, and he's. Uh, Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. I'm playing the game with those two Mm -hmm. fellas and he never gets to see Eddie again. And Eddie never gets to see him, but you know that... They're in, like... Yeah, they're, like, right there and moments away... Eddie's moments away from hopefully saving his brother. And obviously we find out that does not happen. And to just have that head thrown in mm. is nuts to me. Um, and, and, and Eddie's addiction, do we think... He kind of talks about Henry being his gateway into the drugs and whatnot... And it's really sad because he loves his brother so much that I, I just think it's it's so tough for him to, to kick the drug and to kick the idea that, that Henry's no longer around right around the same time. You know what I mean? Like, do you think he would have ever been able to kick it if Henry was still alive? Or do you think that he would have just been kind of like the, you know, other orangutan on his shoulder, you know, like. Yeah, I feel like that would have been a whole different story because, I mean, like, if Henry had lived, would he been on this journey i feel like he would not have let eddie go on this journey and i don't think roland would let henry go because yeah, I think he roland need him. blown his brains right so <laughs> um, I, I think too like the way i was saying earlier with roland had court as sort of his cruel teacher and he had to defeat court so he can become his own man and i think you know eddie followed henry into drugs but he wouldn't have quit unless you know it had to be his own decision so once henry's out of the picture he can be his own man yeah now i like i like balazar where do you think he falls in in the uh, the, the mobsters of uh, the King verse? Oh, you mean like all, all the yeah? Because we talk a lot about how King is super into gangsters, whether it's greasers or or like actual mob boss. Have we seen at this point? Have we seen like a mafioso kind of guy yet? I'm trying to think. I'm I would say, and I'm jumping a little early, but yes, we've like Ganelli and Thinner. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, man. Who is also uh, Ganelli's Pizza is mentioned. Yeah, I was like, I I wonder if that's like a little connector there. Is that the same time frame, I guess? It would be. Sure. (laughs) Well, I think because, you know, we know. I mean, it's definitely connected. Yeah, we know there's so many connections, but I think this is when Stephen King was first realizing he could make them. Um, Because I noticed, too, there are a few connections where very loose, don't really, you know, they're not meaningful in any way other than it's the same word, but. I don't think that's by accident. I think this is when he first starts kind of peppering things in before oh, he, absolutely. you know, a few books in, you're going to see like he loses his mind with these references. Yeah, <laughs> some, some books like, like Harry Potter references. Refer- oh, oh yeah. oh yeah. And even outside his own Star universe. Wars, I mean, yeah. yeah, it gets crazy. Yeah. I was like, he mentions the shining a lot, which or through Eddie. Oh I think. yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess, which, no, I'm sorry. We'll, I'm hopping we'll, ahead. No, we'll I'm get, sorry. We'll Kings of the Minion. We'll the- Shut up. Uh, <laughs> so the other, the other couple uh, uh, of, of mooks uh, is uh, Carl Vincent <laughs> and old double ugly Jack Andalini. Uh, uh, love these, I love Jack these Andalini. side characters. These guys, um, this whole shootout is just, is brilliant. Uh, the way this thing plays out and how Roland just comes in and, and just, uh, it's just such a great sequence. 
and Andalini now Andalini is the guy that they he pulls into the uh, into Midworld, right? Mm. right? Yeah, he's the one who gets right. attacked by the Lobstrosities. One Andalini, and I'll talk about this when we get to uh, to the cemetery. But what I love about him is they establish him as this caveman looking heavy, and he doesn't really go beyond that. But then you actually feel a little bit of sympathy for him, given what happens to him. And, and Eddie actually feels sympathy for him, too, even though Jack is, like, trying to kill him. He's like, oh, my God, he's getting torn apart by these lobster things. Mm. And, I, and I think that's such a cool move just to take this guy who's, like, sort of a caricature and then humanize him that way. So, And I just I just like the way Andalini's drawn in that illustration, too. He looks like a Dick Tracy villain or something. Oh, totally. Um, so anybody else? Any, any comments on these, uh, these mobsters? Um, I, I just thought um – so in the first book, you know, Roland kind of mows down the townspeople, but they're not really trained fighters. And I feel like this is the first time we get to see him actually go against some heavies. And yeah, he yeah. just kicks their ass. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. you start to realize, like, wow, this guy, you know, and we'll comment more to later with the some of him fighting the police. But yeah, people recognize they're like, wow, this guy is so swift. My favorite part is when he throws the bullets in the air and reloads the gun. Mitt. Now, oh, wait a minute. That's, that's from the movie. Uh, oh, yeah. I was like, wait a second, when did this no, happen? I'm kidding. That's, <laughs> yeah. that does not oh, happen. you mean the 90 minute adaptation of the oh, first three novels? God. Good yeah. job. But, you know, th- th- I agree with you. Th- it's such a cool sequence. We really get to see him go up against some, some heavy hitters in this one, um, which is great because, like you said, in the other, he's just mowing down people that have just lost their mind, which is another kind of fun yeah. <laughs> scene to I watch kinda... him kill people, but. Yeah, to your point, I kind of like how with this fight scene, too, he breaks down how each person that he's fighting against, how they're responding. He's like, well, the guy who comes in with the machine gun or whatever, and he's like, that was the stupidest move you can make because you're just like he's. Yeah, it's like this fast paced action sequence going on. But at the same time, he's like breaking it down for you. Like, hey, this is what you do and don't do. And I'm like, oh, okay. so if I'm ever in a gunfight, this is what I should do. Yeah, yeah. You really start to appreciate his training. And Mm, I do like when he calls out the mistakes and others because it's just like and again like court is one of my favorite characters because he's such an asshole but he really beat these lessons into them i call them court interludes in my notes where like court just pops up and starts speaking it's true i love it's like time slows down and we get to see his thought process as he's in the middle of this crazy shootout and i do love how he mentions like you were saying how he's like oh eddie eddie's totally like could be a gunslinger you know I, I i like i like all those mentions of that especially with odetta later on or Odetta, uh or Susanna, i guess okay so the shootout is done he decides he's gonna pull eddie through eddie comes through they leave the drugs behind Ooh, and that door shuts <laughs> i mean Eddie's. i would not <laughs> want to be eddie for life of me uh, the next door that they do get to, and I love how you kind of slowly are introduced to elements of Midworld throughout the rest of this, uh, in these shuffles, how you get to kind of see a little bit more of each, like a little bit more stretch of the beach, a little bit more of the Rockies, you know, the, the trees, the weird insects, um, which also kind of just kept reminding me of the mist, uh, of just of all the, the weird creatures and stuff. You're like, I didn't even think about that on this world. What is it? Other than the lobstrosities, what else is in this world? Yeah, they're sort of like um, the Toda- yeah. was it Todash? Yeah. I, I kind of always assume that in the mist there are creatures like the lobstrosities. Oh, totally. Oh, like the, the Tahin? The, yeah, the yeah. Just yeah. The way- so we we then get to the next door and we get to one of my favorite characters, Odetta Holmes. The Lady of Shadows. Jinx, you owe me a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> so Odetta, and I believe... I read this that Odetta was actually 
um, a direct reference to an actual woman. Do you I read that, that too. She's like a civil rights activist and a singer. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, Odetta <laughs> Holmes, uh, who I believe, I think there was something like she she spoke. She sang or sang the, a, I freedom. Yeah, but I forgot whose um, address it was. I read that too last night when I was right. on. But I like how that that's that's an direct um, kind of pull from from our world, I guess. Um, and Odetta is obviously this. She's she's a, a rich woman. She's living in this penthouse in a pro- predominantly white neighborhood. You know, and she talks about how people kind of look down on her, and she's kind of like, "Well, I'm not only do I live above you, but I, I'm, I'm above you. You know, like I'm above mm-hmm. it. I'm above that cattiness, that 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 underlying hate. But she's that not hate, really. You know? but, <laughs> but well, uh, and then we and we do find out that she is uh, wheelchair bound due to. Something that happened to her uh, when she was younger. Does anyone want to talk about that? Which which part? The wheelchair bound part or the the skull bashing the part? Oh, the brick part. Uh, whatever you guys want to roll with first. Let's uh, let's wheelchair bound. Let's talk about. You said, you said roll, so we have to do wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's talk about. Sorry, she that was bad. That was bad loses bad. them legs. That was like the best part. For, like I f- I feel like Odetta's chapter. I was. Feeling so many emotions because I felt psychopathic or not psychopathic, but schizophrenic in a way because like the change in mind uh, between Odetta and Detta and then like the slip ups that you notice where she's talking and talking to Andrew at one point, her driver, and mm-hmm. she says for special, which is something that only Detta uses. I enjoyed this chapter so much. I think King did a really great job. With the incident with the train, I was not expecting it. I was sitting there. I felt like I was her, and I'm standing on the train platform, and suddenly I've been pushed. Like, I freaked out. I, my heart was pounding. Like, And now we all live in Chicago, and, and Caffrey once did. There we are on trains all the time. Mm. I can't tell you how many times I'm waiting for a train. Train's pulling in, and I look behind me to make sure no one's standing right behind me because mm-hmm. I do not want to get pushed onto this track. And it's because of this book. Yeah, no. And yeah. similarly, like there's so many times where I'm standing there on the platform and I just push someone on the track, <laughs> and it's because You're of this book. <laughs> it makes oh. me think of that that scene of House of Cards, and I'm like, I wonder if they draw drew that from this book. Oh, like, just like just like Roland drew the three from the. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of villains, Kevin Spacey, wow, right? Oh yeah, I know. Well, Kevin Spacey would be Jack Mort these days. Full circle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so she gets thrown onto the tracks, and then it's also our first instance where we get to meet Odetta because someone says, the, I think the last thing she shouts is clearly like, something Detta says. I'm going to get the honky mother. Ma- ma- something like that. I, could, I had a hard <laughs> ma- time fa, saying yeah. that. Ma- um, <laughs> yeah, I had a hard time pronouncing just better. <laughs> I think that's just because, but I do like how, um, and I guess we could just move slowly in, into Detta as we get uh, into this. Or, you know, actually, before we do that, let's talk about the brick. Um, so Eddie talks to her. There's a there's a, a misshapen part of Detta's, uh, or Odetta's skull. Well, Detta's skull, too. Um, and she talks about how when she was a young child, uh, someone dropped a brick on her head. In Central and, Park, right? No, I, or was I it? They, they were, were walking. They were walking back from their, or they were going to the train station, and the taxi cab driver wouldn't take them because they were black. And so instead of calling a new taxi cab, they decide to walk. And of course, you know, if you're walking with your child, I guess most time, I don't know, you put them towards the inside of the street. I would have them in between me. Like if it was me and my partner, the, my child would be in between. So like, yeah, be, I guess. Anyway. Yeah, no, totally, totally. And so she's closest to the building, and brick comes. a brick falls, and just 
Ugh, I can't even imagine what yeah. that feels like either. Good shot, right? Yeah. Odetta Kobe. had a really, really bad run of bad luck. Um, well, she says like hard gate. life, soft living. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I, I, one thing with her too that I, I like mental illness really scares me. Yeah. Um, because you know you try to be like a rational person, but when you do, when you see people acting irrationally, you know she has all this money. But yet she's going shoplifting and they're even saying like the costume jewelry that she's stealing mm-hmm. isn't even worth nearly what she's wearing. It's and just it makes no it, sense. Yeah, but when you see it, you just can't help but empathize and sympathize for this person. Yeah. And the fact that she has no clue about her other self. But and and but OK, so now we're going to move into talking about Detta. So Detta is her alter ego, her schizophrenic other half, the, the bad person, I guess, the bad portion of her. And um, I think Eddie and Roland making the observation at one point that she's kind of she talks she's she it's all a show she's putting on a show uh, whether she whether she understands it or not it's it's like this this facade she she pretends like she's scared of water at one point and I think they kind of pick up on the fact that no she's not really scared of water mm-hmm. she's just she's doing all these outlandish things to like just to fuck with them and the way that she speaks is they say I, I think at one point it's like a, like a cartoon black woman or something yeah something yeah. Like it's like this exaggerated version of a human being um and so even with in schizophrenia i feel like it's this weird again i don't think stephen king is really commenting on schizophrenia as an actual disease i don't think this is quite that it's something Mm -hmm. else you know what i mean because uh because if he was i feel like i'd be a little irresponsible because (laughs) this is not the reality of schizophrenia obviously um but detta is just crazy and now I feel like Detta is like the extreme because again going back to when she's sitting when Odetta is sitting in the car with Andrew and like there she has these moments where things burst out of her or like she where she's talking about I shouldn't feel this way about those people who hate me or like the way I'm feeling is like pissed like the piss that was in my crotch I feel like Odetta and Detta are the extreme opposites of each other whereas Detta is this nice person and she's living in this world that's hard and tough on her but she I guess it's trained not to respond in these angry, violent ways of just like lashing out. Data is that that um, release for her. It became that release as soon as that brick hit. Like that section of her brain that she was keeping locked up and reserved was like, "Fuck this!" Like when you talk, even just going in like the transition of how Detta remembers her memories and like the certain key points and that she appears before like the actual train accident she's only it pops up what three times or something like that yeah. and the transition of like talking about sexual oh, I won't get into that for pound cake but like yeah. that whole period there too was like all these thinking about as a young girl too like you have these sexual desires but like you're told that women aren't supposed to be like that or you're not supposed to think that way so like this reserved part of her gets released through data even though it turns into this like crazed psychopathic I don't want to use psychopathic I'm, I feel like I'm using those terms incorrectly but like it's ferocious ferocious woman I think uh, when I think too right because I don't keep saying schizophrenic but I think it isn't it more um dissociative I, I, disorder I, yeah right yeah, yeah. dissociative personality disorder like because schizophrenia would be like you're you're seeing things aren't there you're seeing people aren't there whereas hers it's like it's it's, yeah, it's like split personalities right, sense, right? I, I think I'm not I'm not yeah I'm not I think I feel like we're getting the term schizophrenic is because Eddie uses it. Yeah, right. But like, yeah, I, yeah. He gets it wrong. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Which yeah. which seems like something Eddie would do. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and, and I think what's cool too, and like that, it's a good point you brought up about them being the kind of two extremes of the same personality. Because when they finally do merge into Susanna, you know, 
I don't think Odetta being a gunslinger would have worked out. Mm. Like, she doesn't have the intensity. <laughs> and Detta just is beyond control. Well, but when they finally merge, I think that gives her the strength to actually be a good, you know, what? she needs both those parts of her to, like, survive in Midworld. And can yeah. I just say, too, the first time I read it, you know, so he got Eddie Dean. And I was kind of like, oh, great. He's got this, like, junky assistant. That's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. And then the next story gets a woman with no legs. I was just like, like what, what is, is going on? How is he going to get to the tower but with this man, crew? It's so cool how it all comes together. And, uh, yeah, Detta. So I think it's important to note right now that Eddie, Roland went through the door to get Detta and Odetta. Um, as soon as, so once again, we have more new, new door logic. Eddie's holding a knife to Roland, <laughs> about to kill him. Uh, Roland goes through anyways, he's like, screw it. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Detta feels not only Roland's presence when he enters her, but start, also is then crazily aware of, Odetta. And I think that's really cool. I, I love that little split second. She screams, I think, because she realizes that she's not alone, that there is this other part of her that she's not even she's Which not aware of. It's weird because she they mentioned like they always are aware but not aware of it. It's like right. this weird. It's like this like, weird cognizance, momentary cognizance of that of that fact. I also like how later on uh Roland says, uh, I think it's page two fifty one in the plume edition. Um, when he's talking about Detta in the desert when they're moving her, he says, God, she's evil, this one. And she's legless, but she's a gunslinger as surely as Eddie is one. And I think that brings back to your point how Detta is more that that that, that gunslinger portion that needs to be fused with Odetta, um, with her calmness and her sureness and everything. And the, the idea of the breaking, the smashing the plates, mm. the, that's another thing to note for future uh, yeah, I had that in my notes too. I didn't even think of that. Oh, wait, you're right. Another, in, uh, the fifth but book, going, of the but going forward, there's uh, another. There's okay. something that happens. Yeah, we, we don't want to give it away. But, but yeah, yeah, it's it's I'm something sorry. that I totally just kind of forgot about. And then even even in the latter book, when something something along those lines comes back up, I don't think I remembered it unless they blatantly mention it. It's been a while since I've read those books. So that's just something to take note of uh, if you're con- going to continue reading the series. I have a question to, to you guys just about the merging of Odetta and Detta at the end. And then without spoiling too much, the, those personalities come into play in the later books also. But do you think what that is suggesting is that even though she doesn't remember what she's like when she's Detta and Detta is obviously this extreme version, do you think it's like it's hinting that these are still person, personality traits within her? Do you know what I mean? Like she still has the capability to be ferocious and, and be predatory in that kind of way i I guess i'm just asking what you guys think the implications yeah yeah yeah. so there's one line where because she keeps threatening like oh you guys are gonna rape me and Mm. and at one point and this is a little bit of foreshadowing but she says the quote they could try to rape her but she would kill them with her cunt yeah and there's a part Mm. with a thinny in the future that i don't want to spoil but Yeah. Razor cunt it is. Uh, <laughs> hey, I knew I picked the right name for a reason. I know. She, I mean, I, she does. T- I feel like at one point she does say, like, go ahead and get into this cunt because it'll, like, bite your dick off. And it made me think of Dentata, which is that whole idea of, like, oh, yeah, teeth. Yeah. 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 When I was a kid, I used to think this was real. Uh, I won't get into that story. <laughs> but I was, like, curious if uh, King had either seen. Well, that movie came out much later, the. Uh, teeth movie but like if he was aware of this and that's why he kind of like uses that 
I like to think that Super King Power. knew. I, <laughs> I think he was because am I making this up? The raft and skeleton crew. Hasn't he said that that is like supposed to be symbolic of him being afraid a vagina would swallow him up? Am I am I completely <laughs> making that up, or am I just being was that like a Freudian slip? Uh, uh, <laughs> Dan, I think you just had a bad dream yeah, last night. Like, <laughs> like, which movie? I, there's another movie where someone does get swallowed up by a vagina, but and, uh, and uh, was it American Gods? Oh, oh yeah, that might be too. Well, there aren't a whole lot of other vaginas in this uh, book. <laughs> Well, there's three. Oh, da da There's three, and let me tell you, let me tell you, when they merge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Roland's able to pull uh, Detta through to Midworld, and Odetta's there briefly at the beginning, or is it just straight up Detta, she right? Comes, no, no she's, when she, they come through, it's Odetta. It, it it's, is Odetta. It's, it's Odetta because there's a couple moments of warmth, and I don't think Eddie would have just fallen for Detta, you know? And, yeah. Because really? she even says, like, <laughs> yeah, I know, but, like, I, I think there's a part because, like, because he even says, like, wow, like, he, they see the transformation in her. Because I just remember they yes, comment on how yes. pretty and, like, polite Odetta is. Oh, no, Odetta you're right, is. because when they come Roland to, has to explain mm-hmm. to Eddie that the, the woman person. that he pulled through was not the same person that came on the other side and to keep his guard up. I think they go back and mention it too is like that change in her like as it comes to the door like how she's because the placental tearing sound Oof. that Eddie hears is that tear because they, they're able to see each other for that brief moment at the same time and it turns into Odetta right before they come in through the door. And that's also how Roland I believe knows that they can have that moment and which is brings it back to the end of the book. Uh, so Detta rears her ugly head at one point and they've got to truck her across the desert. Now we got half dying Roland. We've got Detta in a wheelchair, just being the most viciously ferocious, ferocious human being of all time, strapped down, just shaking and doing everything she can to, to make it impossible for them to roll her through this desert sand, which is even more of an arduous task. So and 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 once again, Eddie's going through withdrawal. So this is just insane. I can't. I still don't. Can't believe they got to the next door eventually. Um, but I think one of the worst parts for me of this is is when they're trying to sleep, and every single time they're just about to sleep, that it just starts screaming or yelling or I mean. These guys don't. These guys can't catch a break. Yeah. <laughs> the thing, I literally, <laughs> but the thing, the. I also I wanted to go back. There was a quote that Odetta says when she like first meets them after she comes to the door. Yeah. Or no, is it when? Let's see what page is it. It's like one ninety nine in the Plume edition that I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so she's talking about. Oh no, this is before she joins the civil rights movement. She's kind of like fascinated with it, and she's like thinking about how she's getting involved. And I'm sorry, I'm like stalling for time while I get my page. Here we go. Odetta would think if I could do something like that, if I could be bra- that brave i think i could be happy for the rest of my life but that sort of courage is not in me and i feel like this goes again back to the fact that the gunslinger needs all three two versions uh, whatever versions of (laughs) this woman like odetta has gunslinger potential in the sense of she's got that calmness that humanity that you need but like she's not whereas Detta will throw herself down. She has no fear. She is just going out there. She's, it's a weird sort of courage, but it's a courage nonetheless that Odetta needed. And that extreme personality that finally emerges. It's like, I'm excited to see what Suzanne is going to really be like, or Suzanne. Oh, yeah. you say I, her name. I'm so excited to revisit 
her in the, in the following books. Yeah, she's especially definitely... especially my favorite book, Song of Susanna, which is easily not my favorite book of this. That's your, I was like, say, wait a second. Not, that's a total one. That. Totally <laughs> yeah. That's a dig yeah. at Mike now Rothman. Just ruined it that's a dig at Mike Rothman. Who? No, no, no. Song of Susanna is yeah. fine. I just personally yeah. uh, wait, fall I, I asleep. Uh, <laughs> Wastelands is like a the next one. The Wastelands is a really good Susanna book. I yeah. think. Like, yeah. The, the the sequence. We can talk more about it later. Of the overall picture, but I think the book two, three, four, and even five, they hit really well. Yes. And I think it's like the strongest part of the whole series. I absolutely agree. And I gotta um, say too, uh, Susanna Odetta Detta, like one of my favorite King characters. Like you easily. know, it's just there's so much going on. Yeah. And even though he kind of like, and you could probably speak to this better, some of the language he uses, like when King writes outside of his, like his yeah. POV is like a. It's very cartoonish and it was very character. And sometimes I was like, this is so hokey. And I kind of would like skim through her lines because I'm like, it's the same repetitive like nonsense. And like, even when I think of like the caricatures of it, I'm like, it's not really like this. So I don't know where he was getting. Yeah, it's a little cringy. And I think (laughs) when he he was getting that from growing up in rural Maine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding. Yeah. A lot of culture. Which is also interesting because I feel like as as much you know uh, as as much as we dig on him for for that in this in this book, Susanna ends up being like one of my favorite Stephen King characters. You know, so it's kind of like crazy. Um, she's awesome. She's great, and um, I can't wait for everybody to read the the next few books. Uh, so we finally finally get to <laughs> the third door. Um, which is uh, Mr. Jack Mort, who now, as soon as we get to this chapter, I feel like there's not one moment where I wasn't just by chomping at the bits to finish the rest of this book. Everything starts coming together. So Jack Mort is actually the guy who throws the brick and pushes her onto the tracks and, and pushes Jake too. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's Jake. Right. yeah. All three of those things. And he's an accountant, which is probably yeah. the greatest sin. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. I also the love greatest the greatest sin. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, no, if we have account- accountants out there, just uh, you know, learn from Jack Moore's mistakes. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, this character, even being well, being the worst person being drawn, the, the most awful, really ties everyone together and is kind of the almost the catalyst for uh, not only Odetta, but Roland in, in terms of Jake and uh, something I couldn't wrap my head around. And obviously they answer it in the future books, but ha- he has not done this to Jake yet at this point. Right. Yeah. When no. he meets Jack Mort. Well, well, no, he's right about to, right? Because Roland <laughs> prevents him from doing it. I think he like jumps into his body just as he's getting ready to push Jake. Right. Yeah, he he diverts it, which obviously will come into play yeah, later. Yeah, so um, yeah, so I mean, it's like right so when he gets. I that love moment. that because he's that one moment he kind of gets to to make the right decision, the right call. One well, um, also too, it, it reminds it, it reminds me of like a. Uh, Lord of the Rings is such a big influence on King and Lord of the Rings and his spoiler alert, you know, Gollum, they keep him alive because he has this greater role to play. And even though Jack Mort, like as awful as he is, he obviously has this big role in bringing Roland's quartet together. And I, I just love that as a story device, like having to rely on this kind of evil person and using them to accomplish a greater good. Um, I, I think that's just like a, a really cool literary device. Yeah, and I, I think that's, I mean, that's kind of how they win over Detta and Odetta, because he calls to her before he does mm-hmm. the push to be like, look, what you know, and oh, I think that's when yeah. she realizes, like, these guys don't mean to harm me, like, they're on my side, they're getting revenge for me, and yeah, it is a powerful moment. 
That is definitely the easily the best part of this book for me is that moment, that whole, that, that those like five pages there is just great. Um, Jack Mort, even in his own office, people are scared of him for some reason. They just, he's, he's a weird guy. We, we find out that he, in his, when he was younger, he was the guy that was throwing bricks out the window and is responsible for Odetta and, uh, being hospitalized. We find out he, he pushes her. Now, this, he doesn't know. He doesn't remember her. He just finds her on the platform, right? And decides that she's going to push her this day. Yeah. Right? I think that's what it is. I, I was a little confused Be- between the brick and the pushing. It was like, wait, so is he targeting her specifically? But then I'm like, how would he know? Yeah, I, I was a little bit. Confused. At first, I thought that. Yeah. But then the way they made it seem is that he's just picking people randomly and it just so happened that the universe is bringing them back to each other because I feel like he remembers since his victims, like he remembers the moment and the action, like, oh yeah, I pushed this black woman in front of the train or, oh yeah, I hit this white guy with my car. But like who they are specifically doesn't matter. And I think he goes into that. Like he doesn't care who they are and what happens. He just like... I'm influencing, I'm in power, I'm changing the universe. Yeah. And Death it, charging. Because when I first read it too, I was like, what are the odds, you know, a city of 10 million people? Mm-hmm. But it, the more it's you get into baby. the Dark Tower <laughs> mythology, though, like, it's all connected. you start seeing, like, the paths to the tower and the beams, like, there is this destiny. Yeah. Cause um, a wheel. Yeah, cause a wheel. <laughs> These things happen in cycles, and it, you know, I think King earns it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. It's, it's believable. Uh, it really brings everything together. And I love how he's just this sniveling shit. I mean, he's just he's yelling and screaming and screaming and rolling. I think you know he threatens that he's going to do something awful to him, and then all of a sudden he's just like, "Oh yeah, okay, I'll help you." You know, it's just yeah. like, and I like how Roland, how he kind of keeps him, keeps him hostage. He's like, "I will jam my thumb in your yeah, eye." Yeah, that's what it is. And yeah. he's like, you know, they say they're more close than lovers. Like he can tell, like Roland is not kidding around. Yeah. I was like, what I love that though, <laughs> because he because they are aware and they are like one person that he knows Roland will do it. Yeah. Mm. So like, there's no. There's none of this like how times. There's none of this back and forth. Like it, legit, Roland. He knows Roland's mind, you know, as well as he knows yeah. his. Um, and I think it demonstrates too. Again, we were talking earlier that Roland is he's so adaptable and he's so smart mm-hmm. that he knows how to get what he wants immediately. Even though he's in this foreign world, like he knows. No, I'll pluck your eye out. Um, when they're, you know, when the cops show up, he doesn't quite know what they are, but he recognizes that they're gunslingers mm-hmm. of their world. And I, I love he, that. Those yeah, he, he, he makes these little observations. Um, the mortionary, the, the he connects things. It's like I don't, which I think is something very human too that we do. It's like if I don't understand it, I'm going to connect it to whatever I know. Which is what Eddie did when he describes things. He talks about movies and pictures, whereas how uh, Roland sees things or how Odetta sees things, everyone's connecting it to what they understand and how they can like interpret and adapt to it. Which is, I don't know, I, I yeah, and like he, uh, you know. The names he gives things like he sees a shotgun and he calls it uh, was it a spray rifle? Yeah, like he he's yeah. never seen one in his life, but he immediately can identify what it is, what it does. <laughs> um, and it goes back to to like what court told him, which basically was like you need to be a good noticer, you need to notice things. And that reminded me of uh, Doctor Doolittle. If you guys have ever read that, that's like the first lesson he teaches <laughs> the kids is like you got to be a good <laughs> noticer. But it, Roland can be in a situation, look at it, and immediately you know when he's thrust into the airplane. Like Mac was saying earlier, that would be so weird if you've never been in the sky, but he identifies like the flight attendants. He makes sense of things very quickly 
at least enough to serve his purpose. And I love this uh, moment when he's going after, there's like some slovenly uh, policeman that like totally botches something. And he says, I think 377, he's like, you're a dangerous fool who should be sent West. <laughs> I just yeah. love that one. And which ties into the, you know, the training again, of court, when you're a failed gunslinger, yeah, they banish yeah. you and we'll get more into that. See you in later. Book four. I mean, we know of another failed gunslinger. Yeah. Um, a lot of foreshadowing here being done in today's episode. <laughs> Rightly so though. Uh, so Jack Moore obviously becomes extremely important in fusing Odetta with Detta. Do we buy this? What do you mean? Like the, yeah. uh, just the logic of it, of, of the personalities coming together? Yeah. Like, did this do it for you? Like, was this yeah, I, like in terms I, of, uh, in terms of that moment and being like a pinnacle part of the book, the, the like, I now spoil alert for me. Yes, it did for me. I, I, I love this, this whole sequence. It just all, it, for, for me, it really just seamlessly kind of came together and everything was happening and the and, and it comes out of nowhere when he throws him uh which uh yeah spoiler alert he throws jack Mort uh into the into the train and has odetta and Detta look at the same time and they kind of go into this uh cerebral battle very much like the old spider from it uh, <laughs> at first i thought like it was like physically like they had split into two people because i was like well it's midworld that's magic. how they would do it in and, on the yeah. big screen <laughs> and i saw their faces merging and then i was like wait no this is internal this is all happening inside their head i don't know if i think of it as like the callous moment like this is the end all i think that odetta Detta, and Susanna still have like a lot to figure out oh totally kind of confused me where it's like suddenly we're calling her Susanna or Susanna. i might be saying her name wrong and i was like wait what that well there's a cool there's another reason for that too a little bit well we already kind of know i mean we, we've mentioned susan before susan, i feel in, like in i heard the name book. susan before but i was like why did they say we won't go into that too much stay but tuned to book four keep, yeah, keep <laughs> however one of the best storylines i do, in the I do series. love that when roland is kind of going in and out of things here after the, after this moment and i think they well the real catalyst is when she fuses and they hear Detta like blowing the lobstrosities away from eddie and and roland and it's just kind of like this great like holy shit like now she's like the gunslinger is here she saves them and they, you know, because they saved her and now we're going to continue. And the last like three pages of this book is just kind of perfect for me in terms of setting up the rest of the series and the tone. I think this book, this book is what this series becomes like the gunslinger is very good. It's almost like a prequel, you know, uh, like you said, Dan, this is where the story starts this and, and, when we get to our adaptations portion and we'll kind of posit what we would do for an adaptation, this is book one. This is movie one <laughs> or miniseries one. Like, you got to start here. You introduce all these the main characters this way and then you can do some flashback stuff to the gunslinger or whatever. But anywho, yeah, I, I just, I love that moment which when she fuses, Jack Mort's dead and now we have our, our quartet, as it were. Are there any other characters, any other shout outs that you want to give to? Am I missing anyone huge? Uh, there's a lot of cops at the end. There's a lot of, uh, um, you know, mob side characters. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I'm there's, blanking the guy that throws Henry's head through the... There's really uh, only, like, but, I think we covered most of them, the good guys and the bad guys, heroes yeah. and villains. There's only, like, maybe seven or eight real fleshed out characters i mean you have like julio the, the paramedic intern but it's kind oh, of the yeah, pharmacist yeah. Like well, some cemetery with some of those characters yeah. which is good uh and again king does a great job of introducing these characters and and giving them a little bit more than they probably deserve because they're only in like pages of the book 
Um, so with that, I think we're going to wrap up our heroes and villains section. And we've been talking about a lot of things we love. Let's talk about some things we didn't like or things that didn't work in our next section called Misery. She died. She just slipped away. Slipped away? Slipped away? She didn't just slip away. You did it. 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 You murdered my misery. Was there anything in this book that didn't resonate with you that you thought was awful or that deserves to be in our misery section? Uh, Caffrey, we'll start with you. I mean, when I think of specific plot points and things that happen, characters, all that, not really, to be honest. Um, I don't know, maybe this is very reserved for Pound Cake. We touched on that bathroom scene a little bit where Eddie's trying to lie to the, <laughs> the TSA people about the cocaine. And just, like, it goes on a little... Like, we get so much shit talk, like, actual shit talk from him about, like... like I don't know, there's just... He gets into such specifics about, like, oh, come on, I'm taking this huge dump it's in like here. That, and it, it get, Dan, it's it like, like a scene, little silly. It's like that scene in Halloween, Zombies Halloween. <laughs> no, it is, yeah, on Halloween where he's like, oh, let me pass this beast in feast. Like, it's, just, it's just, like, what? I think there's only... I think there's like so much dialogue done through a bathroom door that I can take before it begins to get a little absurd. But honestly, that's I, I, and we, we talked a little bit about um, some of uh, uh, Dennis' dialogue just being and, and honestly, too, there, there's some parts too where Eddie's talking about like terminology for black people that feels a little bit outdated. It, it, you know what I mean? Just like like saying things that wouldn't be acceptable today. But outside, those are all kind of little things. I don't know if I have any like big chunks or actual story moves that um, that didn't work for me. Uh, but what about the rest of you? I had just one. It was more of just kind of like, I don't know if he was making up a language or whatever. Because, okay, so it's 120, page 120 in the Plume Edition. And it's where, uh, what do you say his name? Simi? Chimi? see me he's talking to oh, see, uh balazar yeah. oh yeah oh see me yeah, I think. and it's like i can't i'm not gonna read it because i don't understand what it says but i thought it was italian because you know they're supposed to be in new york i, I maybe to assume makes an ass out of me but i asked my italian friend because i was like i recognize some things and i've been trying to learn italian but i was like i don't understand this you're probably better than google translate and he's like this makes absolutely no sense to me <laughs> he's like this is an italian he's like it might be a mix of italian spanish and latin does anyone know what Oh, and he's like, he he's saying, like, Paisan, el Dios, bono, el Dios, maso. I know what, I know what fanculo means, I but. Mean, <laughs> it's very possible. This is, this has got to be Does legit. He make up I his guarantee own you, I guarantee <laughs> Stephen King was sitting there like doing some real digging research on this. I heard and that. I'm it, sure this is all disgusting. It's actually ghostwritten by John Travolta's Gotti. Oh. <laughs> Okay, that makes more sense now. <laughs> hey, forget hey, uh, about it. If you haven't it. seen John Travolta's Gotti, it's uh, for it's free on Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, it's also over two hours. Oh, oh man, it's so it's else. not free, is what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll never, you know, it's not free. I've, I'll never get that time back. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there, anything else that, that no, that was. So? I mean, yeah, we've already kind of touched on the jokes and stuff. Yeah, I would say for me. Caffrey, you're right. There, there's some stuff that I feel like, like the way Eddie talks about. Like, there's a moment where he says something about he's talking about a, the debate. And you're like, oh, you must have been on the debate mm-hmm. team. And he's like, uh, that was for gays, hags, and wimps, like chess club. 
No, I don't know if that would make it into the film version <laughs> these days. Uh, but I kind of feel, you know, honestly though, I kind of wish, I kind of hope it does. In the in the only in the sense that they keep it in the time periods in which that is originally mm-hmm. set, because some of these characters just work better coming from there. And over the course of the next five books, seeing them grow and change and not be, and become not those people anymore. You know what I mean? Uh, I think it works in that sense, but. That probably won't ever happen. As, as much, you know, probably would never see this uh, ever come into play. Well, as a film. I've always I'm saying that because I'm, I'm I believe challenging in the gods. Chances, I, yeah. The first one was terrible. <laughs> do a better one. Um, I, I challenge the gods. Uh, Flieger, do you, is there anything in here that just totally did not work for you? Um, I think you guys covered most of it. Um, there's just, so there's actually two masturbation references. One I don't like, and one I find really funny. Well, wait, uh, wait, well, hold on. You're jumping into pound cake. <laughs> oh, okay. So, well, hold, hold can on. I say what I don't like? The one I don't like, and I'll save the yeah, yeah, other sure, one. Yeah, okay. yeah. So just there's one part where it's Odetta masturbating. And again, With it's Stephen clay? King's <laughs> perspective oh, where I'm just like. That's in my cemetery, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's just like sometimes him seeing out. And I, you know, I forgive him for it, but it's just like he's supposed to capture what it's like to be a woman masturbating. And you're like. I it wonder, sounds like an eight-year-old boy wrote it. Yeah, I was like, did he like ask anyone from experience? I was like, was he just walking around the city as a woman and like pretending this is? I like he calls there, it like her cut or something. Yeah, like, oh, there's oh. some parts where I was just like, ah, I don't. That's some choice pound cake right there. We, we got a little uh, early taste of the pound sip, cake. Sip. Uh, <laughs> so all right, well, I I think that that says a lot for the book because uh, that's not a lot in our misery section. We're going to move right along to the things that we did love uh, in Word Processor of the God. We're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, whether the fuck you hear me doing in here when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? This is a section where we will read little passages or anything that we thought was just like you know, beautifully written by Stephen King. Um, does anyone have anything? I always fail at this category because... It's so hard for me. I'm like, hopefully the readers, if they're listening to this, they just read the book. So, you know, to reread it to them seems like a bit much. But to me, the only thing that I would have mentioned is probably, and I'll have to look at this again, but let's see, page 231 in the Plume Edition. If you have given up your heart for the tower, Roland, you have already lost. A heartless creature is a loveless creature, and a loveless creature is a beast. To be a beast is perhaps bearable, although the man who has become one will surely pay hell's own price in the end. But what if you should gain your object? What if you should, heartless, actually storm the dark tower and win it? If there is not but darkness in your heart, what could you do except uh, degenerate from beast to monster? To gain one's object as a beast would only be bitterly comic, like giving a magnifying glass to an elephant. But to gain... Oh, and side note, elephants, mm. little Lord of the Rings. But to gain one's object as a monster. To, to pay hell is one thing, but do you want to own it? He thought of Allie and of the girl who he had once waited for him at the window. Thought of the tears he had shed over Cuthbert's lifeless corpse. Oh, then he had loved. Yes, then... I do want to love, he cried, 
But although Eddie was also crying a little now with the woman in the wheelchair, the gunslinger's eyes remained as dry as the desert he had crossed to reach this sunless sea. Love that. Um, I think also, and I'm, I had maybe the very end, the literally the last paragraph, but I'll read that after we're finished. We're through here, unless someone else had that. Anybody else? I had. Um, okay. I did want to read just because we we touched on how good the sequence is. I just want to read a little bit from the shootout. Also, too, because I think those kinds of action sequences are so hard to write and make understandable. Um, so I'll just read the end of it uh, right before Angelini gets pulled into um, the door. He thumbed the hammer of his gun back and pulled the trigger again as he recoiled from Andalini's shot. This time the bullet in the chamber fired. The dry, authoritative crack echoed up and down the beach. Gulls asleep on rocks high above the lobstrosities awoke and flew upward in screaming, startled pack. Sorry, this is right after he comes to the door, my bad. Uh, the gunslinger's bullet would have stopped Andalini for good in spite of his own involuntary recoil. But by then, Andalini was also in motion, falling sideways, dazed by the blow on the head. The crack of the gunslinger's revolver seemed distant, but the searing poker it plunged into his left arm, shattering the elbow, was real enough. It brought him out of his daze, and he rose to his feet, one arm hanging broken and useless, the gun wavering wildly about in his other hand, looking for a target. And he keeps on going. The whole, the whole sequence is really brilliant, but I just want to highlight some of the, the economics of that language, how simple it is, but also how vivid it is by having the lobstrosity's noise. I just think it's so hard to write those kinds of scenes, and I think that shootout sequence is like the crown jewel of this book. Oh, totally. Flieger? Um, yeah, so I have a couple. Those are good ones that you guys picked, too. I definitely would have included those. Um, oh, thanks for your approval. <laughs> yeah. A-plus, guys. <laughs> um, well, let me start with a not-serious one so that I can end on a better note. So the second masturbation, uh, when Roland gets his fingers cut off, I thought this was a little side of humanity at one point. So he loses his right to his right hand, his pointer, and his middle finger, and he thinks to himself, I jerk off left-handed. At least that's something. And it's just weird because, you know, you think of him as this, like, stoic guy, but he kind of, like... The important thing. Yeah, he, he just makes a point. I don't know. I thought that was really yeah. funny. Um, but here's a more serious quote. Um, so as he's fighting Balazar's men, uh, Roland thinks to himself, here's another one ready to die for you, Roland. What great wrong did you ever do that you should inspire such terrible loyalty in so many? And I think there's a lot of foreshadowing there of, like, the people he sacrifices along the way and what... Yeah. You know, he carries that guilt with him, even though he doesn't show it. Um, and then because I'm obsessed with the teacher court, um, at one point he thinks back to court while they're fighting. And he, this is a direct quote from court. Control the things you can control, maggot. Let everything else take a flying fuck at you. And if you must go down, go down with your gluns blazing. Guns, not gluns. I was going to say, like, go down with your gluns. Is that a gluns. mid-world term? <laughs> you will be a glunslinger. Got to get that glossary out. <laughs> Blew it on the second to last uh, one. Aisha, did you have anything? So I had quite a few, but like, I'm only going to do three. And I kind of thought of it also, not just in the sense of like, basically, one of the, the versions I call it is my snip snap, where like, the tit for tat, like when Roland and, and uh, Eddie are going back and forth. Yeah. And uh, I literally wrote from in my notes, snip snap. And this is on page 170 of the plume edition. So it starts, uh, but when it comes to that, you're clean, aren't you? Roland watches him. Except for your tower, Eddie utters a short laugh. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Which war was it? Roland whispers. What? The one where you got your sense of nobility and purpose shot off. And I was like, oh, oh like, I was like, 
okay, all right, Roland's coming with the punches. He might be sick and dying, but like he's still like jabbing. His card yeah. got took. Which it just, I mean, like it's is he's la- to me. This is like he's lashing out because in a way, Eddie is the only real character the only character so far who's been able to read Roland for what he really is. Even though Eddie is like a junkie and recovering and everything else, he's the only one who's like calls Roland's bullshit for what it is when Roland is actually like, he has been straight mostly with Eddie, but like there's still bullshit that he's shoveling and Eddie's like, "Mm, let's be totally honest. If we're going to be honest, let's be totally honest. So I liked that line. Good job, King. Nice. The other (laughs) one was like the interaction where he explains Ka to uh to eddie oh yeah yeah and my my favorite line that eddie says is like what's ka eddie's voice was truculent i never heard of it except if you say it twice you come out with the baby word for shit or of shit and i was like yeah and so the whole time i was like kaka every time they would speak of it (laughs) but like that whole interplay of like destiny is destiny just full of shit is this like connection that brings us together is this really worth anything and we're just doing this to all die like at one point he's like let's be real we're all probably gonna die at the end so it's all just for nothing so i kind of really gravitated to that and my last one and then i'm done i'm sorry yeah no go for it was odetta because i love her and well the three of them Mm -hmm. and she's talking to i think andrew or she's thinking about what happened to her in the prison and this is my serious moment too uh let me see so it's on page 188 in my edition um let's see what she says but i think most of them even the dumb ones and they are by all means not all dumb know the change will come in the end no matter what they do And so they take the change to degrade you while they still can, to teach you that you can be degraded. You can swear before God, Christ, and the whole company of saints that you will not, will not, will not soil yourself. But if they hold on to you long enough, of course you do. And I was like, and then she goes into the animal cage, but I was like, it's, I mean, it's relevant now when you see the world, like at any point I was like, this it's true when people do not want to they know what's happening they'll fight you tooth and nail which is what Detta did too knowing that the end quote unquote was coming she fought tooth and nail and people do that and they will degrade you and make you hate every moment of it and it's just I like that for me that was my last one yeah no I that's great those are all great I we kind of jumped it because I just felt like it was better to go into those categories first. But now we're going to go into I, I'm getting, getting a little chill, and uh, I think we've 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 strayed off the road, and uh, we're on the moors, and we've hit the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person but it ain't that person because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all so this isn't a particularly scary book but it definitely has some violent <laughs> moments um anyone want to start uh, I mean, um, I guess the lobstrosities. Yeah. Well, what do you know? <laughs> like every time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those old lobstrosities. What? What was? Uh, what was? What was scary about those things? Well, it's just because they're like these mindless. You know, it's just nature, right? And oh, the yeah. stupid noise, like da da chuck, da da chuck, oh, and it's like in you know, it's a question where you're like, oh, wait, are they interpreting that these animals are like 
asking, mm. which I always thought was funny because they all hear it that way. And so this is also a little fun moment that we can mention. We have our Lobstrosity episodes where we <laughs> watch uh, sequels to Stephen King uh, books and films, uh, well, oh, films, obviously, uh, that just continue to stray further and further from Stephen King's original oh. property. And we call it Lobstrosities because they are monstrosities, uh, much like the Lobstrosities. Um, so if you're listening to any of those episodes, this is where that comes from. Now I need it. The old Lobstrosities, which I would like to um, just jump on that. They're scorpion-like lobsters with a jagged beak. They're four feet long, a foot high, 70 pounds roughly. Uh terrifying at one point i think roland or eddie says that they whenever a wave breaks they raise their claws mm-hmm. and their beaks and they look like they're all doing like the hitler salute in unison like it's all in unison like all of a sudden all their claws just you know like whenever a wave breaks and that just creeps me out and they're always on the periphery they're always following down them down the beach and just ready to, to just eat them at, at any mistake. And they're terrifying when they eat Roland's hand mm. and they start going at Eddie at the end. And let me just jump to it. Andalini, mm. when he gets torn apart by those things, it is ferocious. That was, Yeah, that was, that was my specific one. And I touched on this before. I think specifically because you see this guy who's been so tough the entire novel just – become like a blithering little child, which I would too if I was being torn apart by giant lobsters. And it, it's like the lobster asses are scary enough. And it, we also see just like the emasculation of this guy that, I mean, that, that seemed like chilled me to the bone. I thought. Yeah. So I actually looked up to, they're sort of inspired by uh, these ancient predatory uh, arthropods called Eurotepids. Eurotepids. They're like sea scorpions. Um, but they existed like 300 million years ago, and they kind of resemble those creatures. Where is that? Where is that Come sci-fi on, movie? Right? <laughs> yeah. I would watch that. One. It's called The Mist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. There is, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, lot, yeah. The, the crustacean creatures do show up in The Mist. There is one other thing. It's not quite as scary as the lobstrosities, but I will say, getting into the psychology of Jack Mort, uh, there's something really chilling just about his lack of emotion. Like, for instance, these. Uh, these first four lines, not first four lines, but uh, the last paragraph when we first meet him says, Jack Mort didn't feel a thing. He was too intent on the boy. He had been watching the boy for the last two weeks. Today, he was going to push him. I know that's not like scary, scary, but it's kind mm-hmm. of chilling just in how it captures the psychology of a serial killer. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the lobstrosity is, is like, that, that, takes, that kind of takes the cake in terms of scary things, right, in the book. And, and I think the book's like, the books will get into more creatures and scary stuff as we go along although i don't think the dark series is particular the dark tower series is particularly frightening would, would you say so mac and dan since you guys had read it yeah there's definitely disturbing things that happen uh i would say the scariest it gets for me is probably uh like book five raya the coos and then yes the entire uh, yeah. the entire idea of book five uh is very scary yeah i agree i think book five is the scariest because Four is more of a love, yeah. you know, and act, action, I guess. Right. But yeah, five is like, which you, you saw in the movie where they kind of use the children. Oh, that's like, psych- to be, They kind of yeah. abuse them. It's kind yeah, of they, introduced in that book. It's great in a 90-minute movie it's when you reference book five. <laughs> I know. Uh, Can I say one more thing that I thought yeah, was kind of scary? Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you have? I thought just like seeing like the psychology of Roland. Because um, in the beginning, like Eddie is crying and he like specifically like doesn't comfort him. 
it's just like Roland's just so dead sometimes. And then you do eventually see like, yeah, there's a small show of affection. Like he claps Eddie on the shoulder and they're like, Eddie like blinked because he was just like, whoa, like the guy's actually. Or even Is after the mean? shootout when he gains his respect and, yeah. and he knows he's, he's getting off the drugs, he pulls him. He like pulls him as close to him as he can, kind of yeah. kind of coddles him. A little and he bit. he's so direct, and he like when Odetta is like, "You're gonna rape me," and he's like, "If we were gonna rape you, you would have been one well raped woman yeah. by now." And you're just I like, was like hey. "Damn, okay. that is intense to be like, <laughs> yeah. if we were gonna do it, we were gonna do it." And like you're like, "Jesus, Roland, like, yeah, he's uh, a <laughs> he's uh, he's complicated, complicated hero, <laughs> very blunt and to the point." I feel like. Uh, Aisha, did you have any uh, other things uh, that we were no. taking? I think we all kind of covered most of my cemetery, yeah. like, and going back to what Dan across the pond was saying, like, the <laughs> the humanity, like, for me, I'm a true crime and, like, podcast person. I love listening to that kind of stuff and murder. So, for me, humanity, like, the evil side, the darker sides of people, that's truly more terrifying to me than the lobstrosities. Because, like, yeah, it's gruesome, but, like, how often am I going to go meet one of those in my life? Whereas, for me... The darker side of Jack Moore, I was like heart pounding. I was like, who is this man? I'm terrified. Like, these are the people you can see on the street. Like, we were talking about earlier being on the train and just being pushed off. Like, that for me was my scary yeah. part. Yeah. He's an accountant. It's scary, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's in charge of my money. <laughs> <laughs> a numbers uh, guy. I've got a, a number of ones here. I'm, I'm just going to brush over them. Some of them we've already mentioned. Roland seeing the earth from the plane, I think, is truly terrifying. That would be like, horrifying to me um if i was roland um obviously henry henry dean's head being rolled mm. out uh, you know i have two brothers and if i saw one of their heads rolling out i don't know i don't think i'd be as collected as as eddie going forward especially going through a draw um but he is forced to kind of grow up <laughs> and take care of those other two um yeah that scene in the car with detta when she <laughs> furiously does her business with her fingernail and everything. yeah just like, pr- oh, first of all wow. fingernail that's the cemetery that right was there. yeah that was the, <laughs> i was like okay i was like wouldn't want to be odetta waking up that morning nope um george shavers the paramedic when he has the dream of his mother is it the dead the head of uh his mother yeah, talking like you to couldn't him? save us yeah just ugh, creepy um I have written here in in um, quotations, uh, Detta's, Detta's cave cunt with teeth. Mm. Um, <laughs> so many references. Br- uh, just uh, frightening. Uh, oh, also, and this is a personal thing, just bones breaking in general, but when Cat's jaw gets broken in four places, mm. when that yeah. when what's-his-name falls on top of him, ooh, I can't even imagine my jaw breaking in four places. It's just absolutely horrifying. And to wrap it all up, Jack Mort's nipples being almost sliced mm, in two. That is, yeah. ugh, come on. I'm like, that's... we're all grabbing our nipples right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's when the lighter gets shot right and yeah. explodes. And... I would not be able to lay there while my body is on fire. That's I'm what sorry. I love Roland's discipline where he knows that if he moves, he's a dead man. But and he literally that's not sits his body, there. So he's like, he fucking, I don't he's, care. Yeah, he's able to, like, he's like, this guy deserves it's a, a rental. hit on fire. <laughs> um, I think that about does it for our cemetery section. I think, obviously, the lobstrosities are the real horror of this book and, uh, a huge horror of Stephen King. I'd, I'd put it on the the top ten scariest things of uh, uh, King. Yeah, <laughs> That's saying a lot. <laughs> Maybe we'll we'll revisit that after we're done with everything. But uh, moving on from the cemetery, we're we're now out of the graveyard and um, all that talk about nipples and teeth and cunts and things is making me hungry. So someone give me some pound cake. After all you've been talking, everyone in bad mama, everything 
come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mom. You like him. You really like him, Mama. Where do you start? Oh, let's see. Great, I gotta say, great segue, by the way. I know. I I didn't even write that one down. Uh, You stole my my masturbation pound cake, so my my tray is empty right now. What do you guys Oh, wow. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot lot more. There's there's a lot more. I got a few. Um, Someone else go, though, because I want to pull this up in the book. Uh, I'll start with one while I'm pulling up another one. Of course, the beans, beans, the magical fruit. Is that does that appear in every King book? I just want to know. No, that, 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 that appeared really definitely appeared in the Gunslinger. I didn't. Yeah, it appeared in this. Book? Yeah, he sings it towards the very says, beginning. The more you eat, the more you. Yeah, take. it's like yeah, a side so note or side. What thought. is it? Zol- I always get it mixed up. Zoltan. Uh, Zol- Zol- Zoltan is the Zoltan, who is also, I believe, and it might be Zoltar. Is a, <laughs> or Zoltar is the name of the the genie from Big. <laughs> But <laughs> wait, is it, what, what's the one in uh, Wayne's World? He's like, he's like Zoltar's like gelatinous cube, or is that isn't that Zol, Zoltan or oh, Zoltar God. or something like that? Well, I know Zoltan, I believe, is also a a villain in GI Joe. <laughs> but uh, someone have to correct me on that. Um, let's see. Uh, so I, my first one was Flieger is the uh, I jerk off left handed. He thought so. At least that's something. <laughs> you know, when he's that's the first thing he goes to, and he's thinking about his fingers being bitten off. Um, we got page 131 Claudio Andolini pulled his arm back mm. his fingers came out of Eddie Dean's asshole with a plopping ah, sound yeah. <laughs> even before that when he talks about sticking it up there and he's yeah. like a whole fist plus another inch or two I was oh. like nope mm-mm Good this luck, Eddie not. Dean. <laughs> it's just that, I, yeah, it is that, who is, was he, was it, who was saying before, like, Stephen King getting a kick out of himself? Like, any of these long, long pound cakes, I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, we don't need it. We, okay, we, if you, if they need to have the fingers up the ass, fine, but, like, they just keep going and going. You're like, Jesus Christ, David. I think one of the guys, too, threatens when he's about to do, like, the anal cavity search. Yeah. Which actually is a Wayne's World. Uh, oh, yeah. references. Oh, with, oh, with, with the glove. Yeah, with but the latex he, glove. He says something like, I'm going to finger you from asshole to yeah. appetite. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had, two, I had three more. Two more are really, uh, they really should be in the cemetery, which is the child's play mag in the bathroom with oh, like the two yeah. eight-year-olds mm. kissing. Mm. That's disgusting. Yeah. Was it? Was it's it Balazar's Bal- bathroom. Balazar's like a child molester, yeah. I guess, or well, like into that kind of thing. I don't know. stuff, which is creepy and disgusting. Uh, and then also on page 322, uh, when Jack Mort creams his jeans. Yes, that was one of my... Trips, when he throws yeah. the brick down. Uh, and, um, I don't want to steal anymore. Did you, did you have other ones? That- uh, no, I don't know if you wanted to read first the creamy part, but... Uh- <laughs> No, I don't have. I'm not okay. going to read the cream part. If you want to read it, no, God, no. <laughs> I read it once, and that was. I had another me. one. It's just kind of goofy. Um, it's page two seventy four. Uh, Dada's talking to Eddie and Roland. She says, "That laughing mean you finally managed to joke each other off." Dada cried over at, at them in her hoarse, failing voice. When are you going to get down to the poking? That's what I want to see. That poking. <laughs> I don't know why your voice is like this. I guess I, I'm not doing a very good impression, obviously, but that, that poking. Oh, boy. That king. Um, <laughs> that's really all I had for uh, the old pound cake. I'm full. What about you guys? Anything else? Uh, my only last one was basically the, I mentioned it earlier, the whole Odetta Detta sex, um, exploration. Yeah. Basically every time Odetta had a sexual experience, it was uh, through Detta 
first the time with the plate. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it was on my book version is page 195 to like 197. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a one part where she's with a guy in a car somewhere hooking up. And right. I guess I, f- I forgot what exactly happens. He can't get up or something like that. And she says, well, I guess he ain't made enough to lay this foundation yet and laughing and pressing her finger. And she goes into pressing and masturbating and then escaping and laughing into the night. And I'm just like, dead as sex scenes or like sexual scenes cracked me up each and every time because I've never experienced this like this. Yeah, yeah. It's... This cracking pressure that he spoke of as well. I mean, maybe some people <laughs> differently. I don't think anyone experiences what Dada experiences. Uh, Dan? Uh, no, I got my masturbation ones out in oh, earlier yeah. category. Right. Next yeah. time I'll. So well, I, I think we've uh, cleaned up Blue our plates. A too soon. Um, Cle- cleaned up, up our blue tray. plates and smashed <laughs> them on the ground. Uh, so uh, moving from pound cake, uh, now that we're all full, um, let's get a, a different kind of full. Um, let's get full of King's Dominion. <laughs> There's another world out there. I know there is. Now, uh, I, I dare Randall to have better transitions than mine in this episode. That was great. I creamed um, my jeans. Loved it. <laughs> hey, we're all creaming, <laughs> our, creaming our jeans over here. Um, God, I wore leggings. <laughs> so King's Dominion is the section where we talk about any connections to other Stephen King books, any references, uh, little Easter eggs. Um, the Caffrey, do you want to start? Or did you, or did you all have any? Um, yeah, I mean, we had we talked about the musical fruit one, obviously. Um, I actually noticed they refer, they referred to an electric chair as Old Sparky, uh, which oh, yeah. uh, comes into play in the Green Mile. I think here that they're, they're talking about another prison, but um, in the Green Mile later on, that's also what they call the electric chair. Which the Green Mile is in Georgia, right? Am I making that up? I think, uh, South. I think you're right. Yeah, so that that was like a little one, and you know, and, and you know, with those kinds of Kings Dominion, that may just be like a, a term he likes to use, but that was one I picked up on. Plus. Uh, Beans, beans, the musical theory. Oh, uh, they uh, they mentioned the Shining movie a couple times too. Yeah, um, I always love that. King, King loves. Do- I think he mentions John Travolta too. I think he loves doing that little like wink, wink kind of thing. The Shining comes up like three times. I think Eddie Eddie remembers seeing it and, and references it, which makes sense because he's from the seventies and eighties, right? So like he would have that as a reference point. But it's a little that's King getting a little cheeky, I think. But uh, those were those were the big ones I had. Aisha. You know, this is probably my worst section. And the ones that I had, are, I already did. So oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. No worries. Oh, no I got worries. some conspiracy. I mean, we're like info wars here. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'll go after you. I think you're going to hit all mine, Flieger, because we're both tower heads. But go for it. Okay. Let me uh, bring up my page here. <laughs> tower heads. Tower junkies, like, rolling. Um, yeah. Um, I'll just say one off the top of my head. Um, sure. So... The ambulance workers, uh, Georgie and Julio. I mean, this one's kind of loose, but at one point they call him Georgie. His mom calls him and he like recoils because he doesn't really like that. And as you know, we know and we it, know why no one likes to be called Georgie. Georgie, come here. So Dennis and Thomas, uh, yes. Roland mentions crossing them. And in the oh, other episode, I did the sure. eyes of the dragon. That's they, right. So Randall Flagg is the villain in that book. And these two guys, after he leaves the kingdom, they like set off. To, to like go after find him. Random flag. When, when are they mentioned in this? Uh, in passing, Roland oh. is just like he's uh, talking about flag. He's talking about the man in black at one point, and he mentions a brief moment where he came across the path of Dennis and Thomas on 
in pursuit. It was like he says it was a strange time in my life and still is. Oh, okay. um, but we know that it, it connects directly connects Eyes of the Dragon to this world. Uh, and Eyes of the Dragon takes place in Midworld. So it's it just in a yeah, in, kinda, in a hundreds of years before. It's like Strangers uh, in the so Night. Oh man, it's it's gonna now, be Eyes, of, Eyes of the Dragon is far and away not very much like this series. But it, if you want to get into Randall Flagg's head, it, he's a major character, and then you get a lot of him in that book. Mm. Um, but it was also written kind of more for younger audiences, uh. so it's it's a little hard to read. It's a little, but you you. I recommend if you want some more Dark Tower lore. Anything with Flag. But I love that mention. I love that. Speaking of Flag, so he's the man in black. And if you recall, when they're in the Leaning Tower, every answer that Harry gives is Johnny Cash, who is the man in black. That's right. That's Um, right. Wait, quick question about the Flag Man in Black thing was, and it's confusing because of all the different editions. This, this isn't the book that like can. I mean, I know we mentioned Flag here, but it, it. is this the book that you would say like cements the connection between the stand and and uh, the gunslinger or the dark tower, or is that the next one? Do you think? I, and I'm only saying because I can't. It's hard to tell because of all the different retconning and everything. I would say the fact that Dennis and Thomas are specifically pursuing Flag and that Roland crosses paths, and you know he's chasing the man in black. So I yeah, that's pretty whether it cements it or a king realized at this point, like oh, here's how I can tie mm-hmm. these together. I've, yeah, that's a good point because the Wastelands has like a really direct connection that we won't spoil. But yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. Probably like you start the wheels are starting to turn for that. So what were you going to say, Mac? Even the last page, Roland says, and in the end, we will stand, which is kind of another nod to the stand, you know. Um, I no, I definitely think this is definitely starts laying the, that direct groundwork for him being the man in black uh, uh, or I, Randall Flagg. I found one sort of loose reference to Pet Cemetery. Um, the ambulance intern describes seeing a baby's shoe with a foot in it, mm. like Gage Creed, oh, when he gets it. hit by the truck. And also, no, they Gage. start. I think yeah. the the paramedics start yelling "Code 19, Code 19 at one point, which is really the only nineteen I, I found in the book that was directly like kind of a, oh, there's nineteen showing up again. Yeah, um, and then the, my final one, um, and this is a loose one, but. Uh, Odetta refers to JFK as the world's last gunslinger. Love that. Wait, does she refer to it? <laughs> I, I think I she does. It's, it's the, I think uh, she comments the, on it. Yeah, maybe. the limousine dri- or her limo driver is, was saying like, oh yeah, they mentioned it in the paper and she like has this inner turmoil of like whether she agrees or doesn't agree with that because she right. says out loud that she doesn't think he is. Yeah, and, and they give the timeline like so this takes place three months after he's assassinated mm. and 11 a book all about time traveling to prevent the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, yeah, that's that. very, very true. So those are the only ones. Uh, we already I mentioned think. Ganelli's Pizza. From, uh, obviously, the uh, the the mob guy in Thinner, um, and Roland in his haze mistakes Eddie and Odetta for Elaine and Susan, and obviously those are characters from the Dark Tower series that will come back into play in various ways. Um, but that that was it for me. Uh, it's kind of funny because even though this is kind of the beginning of connecting all the worlds and 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 our world and Eddie's world and and the idea that everything's connected, there aren't a lot of there isn't a lot of connective tissue in this to a lot of other King stuff. Um, obviously, there's a few like things here and there, but mostly are just mentions. But I think it's it is interesting to note that. In Eddie's world, Stephen King is an is an author, and The Shining exists. So I think it's safe to say Eddie's probably from like our world, 
which is cool, um, which is a direct tie-in and obviously comes back to play later on in the books. I think it's a funny reference, too, considering King hated uh, Kubrick's adaptation of The Shining so much, and then he references a shot in the movie about a book he wrote, and that's when you start to get, like... Yeah, you're like, all right, come on, King. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) No, because I think in the first book... um, and the gunslinger, I think, like, Hey Jude is playing, and you're kind of like, Oh, what's this? It's kind of like a blurring of worlds. Yeah, I and I think, this one too. yeah, and this one, you're starting to get into it. And as the series goes on, it just, I mean, it opens up. So maybe I'm jumping ahead with this question. So is it the concept of like how things overlap? Is it because there's a connection between the worlds, or is it that what, like, kind of like, I don't know, time is cyclical and this is all connected and this is like our world, but at another time period? I, I would say without spoiling too much, like, Everything is connected to the Dark Tower. It's at the center of all universes. So time, they all kind of converge on it and bleed into each other. King King literature. Okay. There are many books that have, albeit slight, references to something that connects it to the Dark Tower going forward. Um, Some books, the entire books deal with it outright. Uh, You don't really realize to the end or something. But... um, yeah, it's it, everything. It Cause the wheel, and everything's connected. Uh, so that's it for King's Dominion, I think. Um, which I also like to call sometimes things we glean along the beam, and this beam uh, is the path of Shardik, who we will meet in the next book. So that's exciting. Uh, <laughs> who is this? Who's this? I don't know anything. Uh, I have got some some room two three seven. What about room two three seven? Room 237? You're scared of room 237, ain't you? No, eh? Mr. Allen, what is in room 237? Uh, an unofficial category, but uh, one everybody seems to love and clamor for uh, are the leaps uh, and stretches and reaches. But page 60, uh, the stewardess says, if Captain McDonald lands hard, I'm going to have blisters all over my hands. Do we believe that Captain McDonald is related to Ronald McDonald? <laughs> <laughs> I was not seeing that going in that direction at all. Is this, is this a direct reference to Ronald McDonald? And is there a beam of Ronald McDonald? <laughs> and Ronald McDonald, who does he look like? Pennywise the Clown. I was say, is he the original uh, it? <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, and let me jump to it on page 298. Uh, this is important, guys. Let's listen up. Uh, <laughs> you made good time, the gunslinger conceded. He squinted at the sun. It's four, maybe a quarter past. You sleep five, maybe seven hours, and it'll be full dark. Full dark, no stars? Wait, has it, didn't you bring this up in a previous <laughs> book when he said full dark? I feel like he said full dark. Uh, I think anytime, they, anytime he says full dark in any book, I've got to bring up Full Dark No Stars, the short story collection that came out so many years ago by King himself. Uh, and that's it for my, himself, for my Room 237. Anybody else have anything crazy connections? Well, you know, it's weird because, like, Jack Andalini's first name is Jack, and as we know in The Shining, <laughs> Jack Torrance's first name is Jack. Oh, God, we could we could really uh, reach all day on this one. But I think that's it. We're going to move out of that scary room 237 and into a category that we're just going to kind of pause it over as uh, adaptations. Don't worry, Mom. I know all about cannibalism. 
I saw it on TV. See? It's okay. You saw it on the television. Now, there are no adaptations for this book. Uh, wait, wait, not true. There's a comic adaptation. Oh, of it well, that's true. That is yeah. very true. Dan, were you able to read any of that? Yeah, back in the day. Um, I feel like at this point in the comics, it was when the artwork was not quite as consistent. Like Jay Lee had done the first run of it for a while. Who also did the went through the keyhole illustrations. Um, so, so there it's good. It's a good adaptation. And I think of the, all the dark tower novels, this one is probably the easiest to adapt. I, but the illustrations though, they're not bad. They're, they're just like, they almost lean so heavily into each time period that it feels kind of gimmicky. If that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like people dressing up, uh, from this, the seventies and sixties and stuff. Um, so I, I don't know. It's it's good. I feel like it doesn't quite have the gritty sort of realism that that the book does in terms of tone and um, uh, Phil Pale's artwork. Also, to the lobstrosities, he just kind of draws them as really big lobsters, which I guess they are, but they they almost look just like too cartoony. Like they took the Red Lobster logo and just made it bigger. Um, so yeah, it's de- it's decent. I'd say it's like a, like a seven out of ten. Uh, have any of the rest of you read it? Nope. Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, actually, I think you bought me a couple for like Christmas. Yeah. Ones. Oh. Um, so I've read a few of the comics, but I kind of, it's been so long that I can't really play. Yeah. And, and they're good. I mean, it's kind of weird. I actually feel like the best of the Dark Tower comics are the ones that fill in the gaps. So like Treachery and they have a, a big run of comics. Um, the Battle of Jericho Hill that all take place before the Gunslinger, or sorry, um, in between, or in between the Gunslinger, some of the other books. I almost feel like those benefit from the comic medium a little bit better, just these original stories. Um, whereas I think anytime you're trying to adapt a novel, which is already like a hefty thing in itself, it, it tends to feel a little bit slight in comic form, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I, I've I've always wanted to see uh, this adapted into a film. Um, you know, the gunslinger movie was such a disappointment. Um, but I always thought that there's a way to take the first movie, the actual gunslinger story. And like, I would love to see a straight up adaptation, but you know, it wouldn't be for everyone. It probably wouldn't do good box office, but I feel like in this, when Roland's having his fever dreams, that would be a good time to have sort of flashbacks to his time in the kingdom. Oh, you know, and it's a lot of information to introduce, but I feel like that's a good segue in between the doors is just to reveal like his training fighting court, chasing the man in black and, and i think you really could merge these two books yeah. together. yeah mac and i were talking about this before earlier of like think of it as like a netflix miniseries or that, like that kind of time frame because what did you say earlier doing like the first episode is like a brief introduction to Roland, like like while he's on the beach and then kind of throughout the series doing the flashbacks and like taking we can take from your end yeah. um and then, like, each episode is kind of, like, introducing a new character. So you get Eddie, and then you get Odetta and Jack Mort. I would I would watch that. Like, this, yeah. I would love to see. And then you can reference, like you said, back to The Gunslinger. Yeah. But people are so in love with those kind of, like, shows like Lost, where everything's connected. And this and this is literally everything is connected. And you could do that. You could, you could even have the first episode follow Eddie. And then, and or, or if you did, you could do like Roland versus the Lobstrosities, the whole beach thing, and it ends with him opening the door, and you see the 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 world from above, and then that's the cliffhanger, and then the next episode is Eddie and Henry talking about the drugs all the way up until that point, and then you realize that that's what he's seeing is from Eddie's eyes, the connecting those, and then you continue to do that slowly and introduce these characters and give them the, their due, which. Yeah. 
is baffling to me why it's such a it's such a hbo show it's i just don't know how this hasn't been done yet yeah because it, it's so you can do it it's very doable especially with our special effects these days it's it's it, it's insane all this stuff like the door following them i mean i can see all this stuff happening easily our, our oh. friend in college uh billy hansen who's a great director and actually a writer too at this time um but he was the first person i ever heard propose making a show out of this yeah. And he was in film school. And this is before, you know, Game of Thrones. Like now it seems like commonplace to adapt something into a series. Mm-hmm. But he was like, I would love to do the Dark Tower as like an episodic series. And we were like, that is such a good idea. And Dan, uh, I know COS did a kind of King Universe who would play who thing. If you have a chance to pull that up, do you have access to that? Yeah, here, let me... Um, and just so we yeah, can I've, see who they who they maybe cast as some of these characters from this book. It, it was, uh, what was that called? The King Cinematic Universe, I think, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, let me, uh, let me pull that up real quick. Um, yeah, we. I mean, I, yeah, not to like toot our own horns, but I remember when we worked on that, Not, I'm not saying like they took the idea, but I think there was just something in the air that was like, oh, that's a good idea, right? Like that, like that's how they, they should do this. And they haven't done... They obviously haven't done a King Cinematic Universe, but we are in kind of a King Golden Age of adaptation, so I'm wondering if we might get something like that. Oh, uh, Fleeger, you worked on this too, it looks yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, um, well, let while, me hear. You guys keep talking. I'll pull it up. Yeah, yeah, while you're chatting. Uh, personally now, and I think it's just because of the lobstrosity sequence, I really was picturing Tom Jane as Roland because he, I feel like he fits the age now because he's just older more haggard man of few words i can see him really easily doing this role um now look i love idris elba and in a perfect world i would love i would really love to see him in future versions of this if they continued and if amazon does do this show whatever that might be i really really wish he would continue but it just doesn't look like it's in the cards Uh, in the article we actually cast roland as vigo mortensen I can totally see that, too. And actually, one of my personal favorites for a while, he was attached to the project, was Javier Bardem. Mm. Yeah. And I think his accent gives a little bit of an otherworldly, you know. He would have been great. I was I was surprised at that when they cast him originally, when he was, I think he was on board when Ron Howard was doing it originally. Oh, Ron Howard was scheduled to do the Dark Tower or er, well, he was he, first. It, yeah, he was. And J.J. Abrams was attached before that. Before and the that, way he got the rights was he offered King $19 for the rights. So Stephen King yeah, was like, you're going to Yeah, he was like, it's, it. it's in safe hands, basically. You know? It's a development hell project. It's just, no it one just seems to get it right. Yeah, hell and back. And, and I, I know that... Um, we all kind of joked around about, and it's funny that you mentioned Jesse from Breaking Bad, but I think that he, that actor would, Aaron, uh, Paul yeah. would be, he, Yo, I think he would have been, white bitch. so I think he would have been a great Eddie Dean when he was younger. I think that he would be a great Henry now. Here's uh, I got, I have this, so this article is from 2015. Um, so we have Viggo Mortensen as Roland Deschain, uh, Matthew McConaughey as Randall Flagg, which, Hey, we called that. Um, Nolan Lyons is Jake Chambers, who's actually not in the book that much. Uh, and for Eddie, we have Dane DeHaan. Henry, we have Emile Hirsch. Jack Andalini, we have Vincent Piazza. Rico Balazar, we have Frank Vincent, who died uh, last year, so that couldn't happen. Uh, Odetta Holmes, we have Lupita Nuango. And Jack Mort, we have Paul Scholes. That's a pretty good cast, like, I think. Yeah, I, I, you I like think, Lupita. Yeah, what, what would you swap out? Obviously, Frank Vincent, he's dead now, but... Um, I would honestly. John Travolta. I would cast. (laughs) I'd cast Naomi Harris as Odetta. 
I was gonna say who um, plays um okay okay uh, and um Black Panther. Oh yeah, I would oh, cast her. Uh, yeah, she actually. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, she oh, would God, be really good too. Yeah. Ugh. You could. I mean, that's what's that's what kills me is there's these roles lend themselves to a lot of people. A lot of people can step into these roles. It's just a matter of finding the actor that can pull it off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Especially now that you, I feel like it depends like how open are we lending like to how diverse these roles can be. Like, I'm okay if it was, like, a random cast of mixed people as long as they could portray the personality well. Because I was talking... The other thing is, okay, so going back to why, if they did it again... I'm okay if they did Idris Elba again if they just did the storyline, right? Because, okay, does anyone watch Luther? Oh, yeah. No, I hear it's at Mac does, right? I consider, like, I was seeing, I was, I started rewatching it because apparently the fifth season's coming out again. Yeah, the trailer just dropped. Yeah. I just watched it it the other day. Ah, so I was watching it, though, and it was making, like, his character very much for me aligns in a way or parallels with Roland. Yeah, oh, totally. So that's why I feel like I see why they picked him. I think Mm -hmm. they just didn't use him properly. Yeah. Oh, it was absolutely the writing. It had nothing to do with the cat. I mean, I still think McConaughey could do a really good man in black if given the correct. Script. I, mean, he does look like he's I just think that they just missed the mark. Mm. I mean, even with this book, the beautiful imagery of this strange, ordinary wooden door hovering over this alien landscape on a beach, and then they tried to make it this weird, like CG techno door. And it's less. They have it's such. Their p- fingers are not on the pulse of like what people want to see, and. It's just baffling to me how how much they screwed up that movie. Yeah, I feel, I feel like they could have. I mean, literally, all you need is a door frame on a beach. You don't even need CGI, <laughs> and then you green screen so that you look like you're looking into New York City. And like they it's totally, very. They ripped something simple. from the th- from wastelands and used it poorly. In the, anyway, that's a whole other thing. But uh, I, I would say for Eddie Dean now, I would like to cast um, Timothy Chalamet, who. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on no, he would be a good Jake <laughs> yeah. he would have been, been a good Jake when he was younger yeah I don't I think, think he'd be anybody now I, that's and tough I think it's a tough role I think Taisha's point too about just more diverse casting um, 100% and I, I think also this article is from well it was updated in 2015 but we wrote it the whole thing before that I think like since then that's just become more of a thing to do and that like it's not a big deal like it's not a big deal to have like a black role under whoever so yeah I don't I don't think I mean, there's like some racial dynamics, I guess, at play between Odetta and the other characters. But I would just, I'd be much in favor of seeing like a more diverse cast than just like, like you don't have to cast someone who looks exactly like Eddie Dean yeah, in illustrations or whatever else, you know. Other than the remarks of him being white, white you could still have him be like this honky <laughs> yeah, exactly. western, yeah. you know. I mean, you could. There's, there's, like, there's words for everyone, so it yeah. didn't, like you just have to switch up the wording. The same sentiment could be there. Totally. I just think, like again, speaking to what Mac was talking about, like feeling the pulse of what's going on, you see a lot more movies coming out where. If I saw an adaptation like Pet Cemetery, I was I was excited to see that uh, that trailer, but part of me was like a little bored because I was like, it's the same. We've seen this dynamic, before, right? yeah. Like, yeah. give me a, a a lesbian couple who moves in with like adopted kids that they have of like different <laughs> colors. Like, give yeah, me something because yeah. it's and more do keen something to, new with it. Also, it's keen to what we're seeing in the world. Like, if you want to make it more adaptable to people nowadays, make it more true, like to yeah. your audience. There's a wider audience who are not being catered to that One, you can easily go to. That's a good point, Pet Cemetery. Because yeah, I mean, if if, the, if it was two women, like a lesbian couple, it it wouldn't change nothing in the story, right? Like you'd yeah. still have the exact same story, just with like a little bit more of like an interesting cast to it. And, and I think point. back in the day, it might have been the Daredevil movie where they 
Was it Ving Rhames? They oh, cast yeah, this Kingpin, Rames Kingpin, and you're like, no, it's uh, Michael Clark Duncan. Oh yeah, oh, Michael yeah. Clark yeah. Duncan. Yeah. Rest but, uh, in peace. R.I.P. But another another uh, king king folk. Yeah, but but it seems like I mean, unless like race is like Odetta's race is vital to the character, right? But if it's not, like, yeah, there's no reason not to switch it up. Like, it doesn't. I uh, would I would never change Odetta because I mean, no, you can't because it has to. And I wouldn't. Why would we take away a role? Yeah, it makes sense in that sense, but but if it's not pivotal, you know, sexuality, race to the character itself, then why not? Look, I'm I'm all up, about but. casting the best person for the role. It doesn't matter what they mm-hmm. are, as long as they can fucking kill the role. That's cast them. Yeah. yeah, and that's when when Idris got cast. Though everyone was like, "Oh, I was wow, thrilled. this is actually like really thrilled. good casting." I, and like, and then they big up. big Luther head, big Luther head. Can't <laughs> wait for that new series. What? Quick, um, quick question for you guys. That is, uh, just be because of I still haven't seen the Dark Tower adaptation. Would you say that because it takes place in New York City, it's like sort of a weird combination? Like, are there elements of drawing the three, or other than the setting, it's pretty much nothing like this book? Some of Midworld, they do a good job illustrating, but even that fell flat for me a little bit. Um, they hop to like where the breakers are from book five. Yeah, which is like, I just felt confused the whole time. Like everything was very choppy, and they were throwing in different parts, and I could never get a bearing of like what the actual. It was like suddenly he's here, and this is happening. Like it's, it's never. Get it's a basically bearing. someone read the books, and we're like, we're gonna take the what we think is the best parts of the books and put them all in one movie, and but they don't earn it. They don't earn it. So even if it's like a cool sequence, you're like, this is so much better in the book as it was and what it stood for in that book rather than what you're using it for now. Like the, like the the house, the, the, the doorway basically between worlds in the movie is from the wastelands, but they totally just like use the idea, but don't get into how great and wonderful that sequence is in the next book. Anyways, we're getting off topic a little bit, but <laughs> anybody have any other mention uh, in terms of adaptations um, or do you think we've kind of covered what we think that would be? Do you think they'd ever do it like as an animated like uh-huh. miniseries? Like, I don't want to say like a kid's cartoony, but like I'm thinking more anime, but like not anime, just who I, I'm trying to think of who just did like that Batman in Japan. Um, oh, that was uh, Samurai? Yeah. That, I haven't seen that yet. I think that I think this could be an, a brilliant anime movie, but I feel like if they ever did that, they wouldn't. We would never <laughs> see it. We would never see it done <laughs> in live action because mm-hmm. I think that they would nail it yeah. with animation. I can see that. Um, there's. Did you guys see the uh, the anime cartoon like the the short for? Um, it was like a, one of the little prelude prequels to the new Blade Runner movie. No. It's called Blackout. So check that out. They're doing a Blade Runner um, series, like an anime series, and the guy that did that is going to be like heading that up. I think that if if they if they were involved, it would be really. I think they could really do something cool with animation, but I don't think we're we're gonna get that. I would love to see like HBO do it, like like a Todd McFarlane HBO Spawn oh, yeah, thing. You know, like great. I would love to see this on HBO in in that sense and get some great voice talent behind it. But um, but that would make sense. So we're probably never gonna see that. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that ends our adaptation <laughs> section of the podcast. Uh, begrudgingly, I have to mention this. Um, but this is another little piece that, um, we don't normally do, but this week in baseball, 
<laughs> Page 50, I noticed that on TV, the Braves were getting shellacked by the Mets. Justin was very proud of me when I mentioned this. We even tried to look up what game this could possibly be in 1986 or 87. We couldn't figure it out. Um, if you fans out there are big Braves or Mets fans and follow that, let us know what game you think it is. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, Justin, uh, thanks for that. So with that, we'll move to our overall thoughts on the drawing of the three Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Caffrey, let's start with you. I keep starting with you just because it's easier. You're far away and you can't see us well, maybe in the, can here we, in the actually, room. Actually, can we start with Aisha just because it was her first time reading it and maybe oh. you, you can speak without us polluting Yeah, I'm I, a, I'm I a, have been oh, officially oh, been over the spot. There you go. All right. <laughs> My enemy. Pods. We're, we're reshuffling. The Reshuffle. Uh, so, like I was saying earlier, The Gunslinger, when I, the first book, I had a hard time getting through it. I felt like, I mean, I saw there were good parts to it that I enjoyed, but like overall, I was like, can it just be done? And it made me not. I picked up this book, um, Drawing the Three, tried to get through it, and I was, like, still kind of caught up, like, in The Gunslinger, so I put it down, and I hadn't touched it in, like, a year until you guys were talking about doing this recording, and I definitely want to read through the rest of the series. Like, I pulled out all the books, and I was like, okay, Dad, I need the last three of the series, because uh, I'm going to have to blow through these over the winter. Um, I had one thought that kind of persisted with me throughout the entire book. Because King kept bringing it up, and that was the state of Roland's clothing. As you go through the book, and I was like, is there a parallel? Are we talking about the state of, like, Roland's mental being or, like, where he is when we keep comparing the clothing? But every time King makes mention, at least, yeah, throughout every chapter of, like, how tattered, like, he goes to pull something else off of his clothes. And it's like, well, now I'm like, how much is he naked now walking through the desert? Like... Is he, he's in tatters, he's broken, like, this next part of the journey, like, where is he going to be in that step? Like, is he going to be going into this half naked and, like, with his two posse, like, a woman in a wheelchair and a junkie, an ex-junkie? Like, why, like, I, I was just curious why King kept bringing up the state of I Roland's clothing. I think it's clothing. because he was picturing Idris Elba in this role. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that I understand totally. <laughs> Keep going. Oh, man. But I liked it. I loved it. I'm ready to read the next book. Even if I'm not in the recording, I'm going to be listening because I, like, you guys were... I literally, last night, I started listening to the recording you guys did for The Gunslinger. Mm. And I think it was Allison who was in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she mentioned StephenKing.com. And I was like, what is this world? And I, like, literally was on a <laughs> black hole journey last night yeah. till 2 in the morning. Well, be careful. It's going to spoil so many things for you. I know. I had to stop. I was telling you. I was like, I had to stop because I was like, who's this person? And who's this? And, like... House was it? Wolves of Kala had Father Callahan. Is that his oh, name? Oh, uh, we read. might omit that as a uh, spoiler for the fans that haven't read. Oh, yet, I'm sorry. So. Okay. I haven't read the <laughs> book he was in. So. <laughs> well, uh, let me just ask you: How many bright red Pennywise clown noses do you give this book? Five out of five. Ooh, fiver! I know. I know. I'm a surprised. Fiver. I say that like it's a surprise. <laughs> I, I'm. 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 
I'm also in that camp. I'll, I'll go next. Uh, I'm going to give it a five out of five. And I will say, when I was reading this again, this is my second time around, which is the first time uh, for Stephen King books, except for The Gunslinger. Um, I'll be This will be my second read for all the Dark Tower books. I was kind of worried rereading this because I loved it so much when I first read it. I was worried that I was going to be more critical now, especially having read much of King's uh, repertoire now as canon. I just, I was worried. But man, there was, I can't remember what point it was. Maybe it was during the shootout, but I just thought, no, this is, this is going to be five stars for me again. And then again, the last like 20 pages just solidifies it. And that even the last like two pages, it's, it's great. I love it. It's tight book. It moves it. There wasn't one part where I was like falling off or falling asleep. I was very invested. Even the second time around, I burned through this thing. Um, Super fun. Definitely one of my favorite of the series. If not number one, number two. Um, and I'm, I'm going to give it five bright red Pennywise clown noses. Flieger, what do you... Well, why don't we like Caffrey? Okay, so, okay. So Fli- rudely Flieger's interrupted. Gonna, oh, no. gonna, uh, oh, yeah, we rudely interrupted uh, Caffrey. Caffrey, <laughs> go for it. Uh, uh, what do, from, from across the pond, what do you think? Oh, man, it's tough because I really want to give it five bright red Pennywise clown noses, but when I'm thinking about my It rating, I gave It four and a half because I do think It is a more flawed book. But I don't know. Do I want to say I like drawing of the three better than it? I think it's like probably it, it's it's a stronger book. I'm just gonna say five. Yeah, let's do five. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're just, like, side. Uh, you had to base yeah. it on the book. So, I mean, you could exactly. compare it to yeah, all the exactly. same yeah. King books, but like, like I guess like if I was to rank the books, I would probably have it above just because subject matter wise, it interests me more and it's scarier. But in terms of of craft and construction and even like you said, when we were in the misery section, we really didn't have much because I think the book is just, it's kind of flawless and almost flawless since execution. Um, and like you said, it moves, it sticks the landing, it sets everything else up so well. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to get five red penalized condos. All right. And now finally, uh, our, our guest guest host, Dan Flieger will give his Pennywise clown um, rating. So I really love this book and rereading it too. I was nervous, kind of like what Max said about, you know, well, you get thrown off or whatever, but I think it paces really well. Oh yeah. Um, and I, you know, I'm a big fan of book series and there's always a couple selections that drag. Um, I would compare this book to storm of swords in the game of Thrones series where mm. you just, you just want it. Yeah. It's a page turner. Like you just, along. yeah, it, it moves along. Yeah, there's so much happening. There's so much story that gets revealed. Um, and also I like how the first book, the gunslinger kind of feels like it's looking back to like classic literature. Like it feels more like, I don't know, Hemingway or it just, it's Stephen King's writing styles looking back. Whereas I think this is when he starts looking forward. Um, and it feels like a little more modern. Um, it's my second favorite book in the whole dark tower series, um, behind wizard and glass, which I think is universally seen as the best one, but I loved it. Five out of five clown noses. All right. All right. Well, you heard it here. My brother is reading it. Justin is reading it right now. He's almost done, but he told me in good confidence the other day that he it's going to be a five <laughs> five noses for him. Uh, and um, he, he leaked it. He leaked it. <laughs> and if you want to know uh, what our other uh, uh, losers thought, uh, reach out to them on social media and ask them. Um, and I'm sure they'll tell you, but they did not tell us. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks again to our constant listeners for continuing to check out the Losers Club week to week. Stephen King. <laughs> 
And I personally would like to thank you for sticking with us for another year of King Related Everything. Uh, please be sure to spread word about the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Facebook, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us. That helps us greatly, and we really do appreciate it. That was our final book of the year, folks. But don't drift off while driving in the snowy mountains. For our next book will be Stephen King's Misery. And I said that like it was a reveal that Stephen King was the author of our next book. But he is. <laughs> so be sure to read Misery for that coverage will come sometime in January. So you have plenty of time to read that book. That's also another short one, um, but a tight read and a good read I've heard. So look forward to that. And we look forward to next time. But until then... Long, Long days, days pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. Oh, we yes. stuck that one. Damn. <laughs> this, uh, we got to work on our quartet, folks. Uh, yeah. Thanks a lot. Good night, folks. Consequence Podcast Network.